Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 108 of Minnesota Sports Weekly. I am your host, Travis Oni, and uh, we have a, a really great show. But uh, I want to talk about the Josh Donaldson signing. The, the, to me, this is a game changer. They signed him for four years, $92 million with an option for a fifth year at $16 million. He's guaranteed with an $8 million buyout. He's guaranteed $92 million. And if he reaches some escalators, it could be five years, $104 million. So that's not your mom and dad's wins. I'm even surprised that they did it. I was a naysayer from the beginning, but uh, I was proven wrong. Um, So here's how the show's going to go tonight. Um, A lot of these interviews are pre-recorded. So I'm going to play them as they, as, as they were recorded. And uh, I, if you have questions, there's a chat room is open. So you can ask questions in there. Um, if you... I'm going to start the show tonight by playing an interview that I did with Seth Stowes from Twins Daily, the founder of Twins Daily. And without that, with that, I'm going to jump on on to Seth Stowes. And uh, we'll go from there. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is friend of the show and the founder of Twins Daily, uh, Seth Stowes. Seth, how's it going? I'm doing just fine, thanks. How are you, Travis? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, my, I, ha- I have to start out with the first question. For new new listeners, 
explain what it's like uh, going to the Diamond Awards. What 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 is that like? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think I've gone to you know the last I don't know, four or five of them, and first it's a it's a great event put on by the University of Minnesota, the Twins uh, Community Fund, and others uh, for research for neurological diseases such as ataxia and. And others, uh, the Bob Allison Foundation, I think, is very involved as well. So that's first and foremost. It's a great event, uh, but it's also a place where the Twins hand out their awards for the previous season. So a lot of those players that are able to make it there are there. Uh, get a little time with Dick Bramer, who emcees it. Uh, he made the comment that I think Marnie Gellner will be co-hosting with him this year. And it's, it's a fundraiser. They, they raise a lot of money uh, for, for research for the University of Minnesota's programs. And, and there's silent auctions and, and a lot of Twins fans. And I'm, I'm assuming Rocco Baldelli and, and the front office will be there and answer some questions as well. So it's a fun night. Um, when you first went, is it what you expected? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people in, in kind of suits and ties and looking very nice, and and uh, it's you know, the twins do that type of thing, you know, really first class, and, and this is no exception to that. Uh, it's it's a well done event. Uh, the first few I went to were at Target Field. Uh, the last few have been uh, at another place downtown. Uh, you know, I think just to get more people in there at the depot. So uh, yeah, it's it's great. Okay. Uh, also, for people that haven't been to Twins Fest, what, what's Twins Fest? Um, I mean, it's another kind of a fundraiser um, for the Twins, the Twins Community Fund, and a lot of the current, former, and future players come, the coaching staff, things like that. Uh, in the past, it's been Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, this year, it's Friday, Saturday. Um, there's autograph stations, a lot of places where the players are interactive uh, with fans, uh, whether it's with kids or you know, other things. Uh, there's a card collecting show and a lot of memorabilia there. And it's just, again, another fun opportunity for Twins fans to uh, kind of rub elbows with, with some of the greats uh, of, the, of the current team. But like I said, the, the past is shown and represented there, and they do have a nice supply of prospects there as well. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, uh, Twins Daily started this, uh, oh, four or five years ago, uh, the winter meltdown, uh, and it's growing to this year, you will be welcoming Twins great Ken Herbeck. Describe to me what, what, how that event has has grown? Well, it's interesting. Uh, when we all had our own individual blogs, every once in a while we would just say, hey, let's meet it. At this bar, the Twins are on the road, and we'll watch a ball game together and invite our readers. And, you know, we'd get 20, 30 people and eventually a few more. And, um, you know, it was, I think, still, the, still at the Metrodome. Um, Hubert's was the bar next to the Metrodome, and we just said on the Saturday night of Twins Fest, Twins Daily will buy the first keg in the back room at Hubert's, and if you're interested, come join us. We'll talk Twins baseball for a few hours. 
Uh, we went through a keg really quickly. There were well over a hundred people there and we were just so impressed with, you know, how many people just simply want to hang out and be part of the twins community and talk to each other and, and, you know, talk to interact with the twins daily writers and other bloggers, writers that are there. And then, uh, you know, it just kind of took off from there. The first year I think we'd had guests was 2014. Uh, I think Scott Erickson was there, Dave St. Peter, um, you know, and since then we've been able to get good guests as well, whether it's Jock Jones or um, who else. Uh, there's been a, there's been so many. Latroy Hawkins, Michael Kadire was there last year. Joe Nathan a couple of years ago. You mentioned Kent Herbeck will be our our first guest this year, this Saturday night, um, and we'll be announcing our second one shortly. Um, and by maybe by the time this airs, uh, people will know who that is as well. So. Uh, it's just a fun night, and hopefully we'll have 300, 400 people there talking twins, enjoying time, and getting to know more people in the community uh, of twins fans, and, and it's about those relationships and, and kind of building on that. Uh, I, I, I know tickets are hard to find. Are you Are you guys sold out, or is there tickets still available? Yeah, no, I mean, we've had them available since before Christmas, and I think they were sold out uh, as of a week or so ago. Um, I know, like, Fan HQ is one of the sponsors. They've got some tickets that they're giving away. I think I saw that K-Fan was giving away some tickets. Uh, So, I mean, it's really, that's kind of how it's available at this point. Let's talk about the Twins on the on-field development. Uh, The Twins signed Josh Donaldson to a four-year $92 million deal that includes a fifth-year option for $16 million that could make it with escalators uh, five years, $104 million. They have an eight million dollar uh, buyout uh, buyout if they so choose. What, what's your thoughts on 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 the signing? I mean, I've never been a big fan of Josh Donaldson, but man, he can hit, and he's a good defensive third base, a great ball player. Um, And I think the Twins are and should be very excited to sign him. I mean, um, boy, to move him into third, to move Sano over to first, and just think of the power potential in that lineup, one through nine, uh, really one through 13. (laughs) They've got some guys that will be on the bench and maybe even in AAA they can hit, and he's a a big part of that. Um, The dollars are fine. I mean, it's obviously the risk is on the Twins, no question about that. Um, when you're giving that kind of money for that kind of time for a guy that's already 34 and, you know, was hurt just two years ago. So it's, it's risky, but it's, you know, one of those high risk, high reward types of uh, moves because, you know, I'm, I'm stealing this from others who have pointed out it's over the last five, six seasons, it's been Mike Trout, Mookie Betts and, and Josh Donaldson. This is the top hitters in baseball. So um, very nice signing. Um you you said you weren't uh, a big fan of his, and I, I've heard things that that he's not a great teammate. I, I don't know that for sure, but 
that just the the rumors you hear. Um, how can the twins uh, temper his uh, overzealousness to get the the good part of Josh Donaldson while tempering the bad part of, of his uh, character? I mean, I don't. I don't think they'll try to do anything. They know who he is. They understand who he is. They respect who he is. Um, and, again, we don't know how that all plays in a clubhouse. So the Twins 2019 clubhouse is really tight. So hopefully this doesn't uh, hurt that. And I would say that based on everything you hear about Rocco Baldelli and every, wanting everyone comfortable and confident and, and feel loose and relaxed so that they can play their best, uh, you know, as a veteran, he's got to appreciate that as well. So, I mean, I, I, I think that's probably overblown. It, it's certainly a concern, but I'm sure it's overblown because at the end of the day, uh, he can flat out play. And if this team wins a lot of games, yeah, I mean, he's going to be happy. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a question, but I don't know that it's a huge concern. Um, a question I had was, Miguel Sano goes over the first. Do you think uh, Sano plays any third base, or are they going to let him concentrate on first base? It's a good question because, uh, you know, if Donaldson were to miss extended period of time, you know, would they just throw Marwin Gonzalez over there, or would they throw Ari Adrianz over there, or um, – you know, would they give Sano an opportunity to go back over there knowing he's going to miss that much time? Uh, you know, I, I think any of those could be the right answer. As I'm sitting here at this moment, um, my reaction would be I think they'd probably go with Marwin Gonzalez at third because he also is a very good defensive third baseman. And as you mentioned, uh, kind of keep uh, the routine going over at first base for Sano. At the same time, I would like to see him play some third base just because if they do need him over there, that versatility, as we hear and know is so important, uh, it won't hurt them at all to have him play over there, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks, because we know Baldelli will give guys time off and someone's got to play there. Um, with the 26th man, how do you see that uh, transpiring? Do you see like a four-man bench and, eight pitchers or nine pitchers and a three-man bench. Uh, how do you see that transpiring? Well, the league rules say you can't have more than 13 pitchers, and I would assume most teams will will top at that. I mean, they'll be at 13, and I would think the Twins would be no different than that, except, you know, maybe here and there, maybe going down to 12 pitchers and, and having a 14th hitter. So, my assumption is they'll have four bench players. It'll be uh, Alex Avila at catcher, Marwin Gonzalez playing all over the place frequently, Ari Adrianza uh, playing the middle infield or wherever he ends up, and, you know, probably either Jake Cave or Lamont Wade. Uh, I would think Cave would go in as the favorite in that race. Uh, Williams Astadio will get time, I'm sure, in the big leagues as well. Uh, might be a guy if they did go to 12 pitchers uh, for time periods that, that would be ready. And again, they're going to have a lot of depth at double A and triple A uh, if needed. And it's just, you know, one call away type of thing. So um, yeah, that's, that's how I think most would assume that it'll happen, but 
you know, if the pitching staff is good and strong, maybe they, for a while here and there, can go down to 12 pitchers. With uh, Michael Pineda missing the first five weeks and uh, Richel out till June or July, I is getting another pitcher uh, a concern? Um, it's not a concern. Uh, certainly, I don't think it's a concern. I think it's very possible, but in my mind, they shouldn't trade for anyone, you know, mediocre. They should trade for someone that's either Jake Odorizzi or better, or at least Michael Pineda or better, um, if they're going to make a trade and actually give something up. Uh, otherwise, don't waste your time. Um, you know, you go in with Rios, Odorizzi, Bailey, um, even with the news that Gratterall is going to start the year in the bullpen, um, you still have Dobnik and, and uh, Dobnik, Dobnik, Thorpe, and Smelter, who all did well at certain times and are, are at that point where they're ready for another opportunity. Uh, at least give them a little time until until Pineda's back in mid-May and and another guy. I mean, they're going to have more options coming too, uh, you know, and see how Rich Hill comes back. It's not to say they won't go get someone. I just uh, it doesn't make any sense to me to add just another arm as opposed to going out and and making a, a move for a good arm. Okay, if I, if I. Uh, Darren Wilson of uh, KSTP Channel 5 said that uh, John Gray of the Rockies, uh, it's not a matter of when he's traded. It's not if, but when. Would he be in that conversation that you would be interested in? Absolutely. I mean, he's good. He's he's not great. He hasn't put up great numbers in his time. Um, he probably currently fits in in that Barrios category. But again, that's a that's a good category to be in, especially when you consider he's played in Coors Field, and there may be more there that he hasn't uh, hasn't been able to reach. He's still not old. I think he's what 27, maybe 28, and he's got a couple of years of team control. If if the Rockies are going to trade Nolan Arenado, which I think is looking more and more likely. Um, you know, they're probably going to suddenly jump back into uh, rebuild mode. And if that's the case, then they may look to trade arms. Yeah, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's not the type of uh, name that you were thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And, And honestly, there's no way to know right now. I mean, we hear him, we hear Marquez, and I don't know that either of them are available now. Uh, other than that, teams aren't looking to make trades for those kind of pitchers right now, I don't think. I think they'd rather start spring training, start their season, see where they're at in June and July, and, and make moves then. And at that point, there may be some names of pitchers that we hadn't even thought of that are suddenly available that are probably better than the guys that uh, might be available now. And again, this farm system is loaded, so uh, they'll be able to compete or try to get anybody with any team. I saw your uh, prospect list, and my question is, do you see, I'm totally going to butcher his name, Uh, you have him number four, Val... Jordan Belasnik? Yeah, him or uh, Duran, do you see either one of those or both 
making a contribution this year with the Twins? Um, if so, it'll be later in the year, and it probably will mean that Rich Hill isn't coming back in the same manner or someone else got hurt um, because they do have it set up whereby with Pineda and Hill coming back by you know the second half of the season, uh, hopefully for both of them, they're, they've got a pretty full rotation. Now, of course, and, and again, you mentioned Dobnik, Thorpe, Smeltzer, maybe Gratterall by then has worked up some innings, things like that. Um, you've got depth. So uh, I think those two should not feel any pressure, but to just continue to keep working and improve their game, work on themselves and what they throw. They'll both start at double A. Um, but, you know, if things go well and if they're pitching so well and dominating, you know, I don't think this front office is going to be afraid to make a call and go with one of them if, if they could be better than, than someone else. Uh, Homer Bailey, uh, he's been up and down in his career. He had the Tommy John surgery, and he got traded to Oakland last year. And when he was with Oakland, he was quite good. Uh, do you have any concerns about him? I mean, he's the fourth or fifth starter, so of course there's concerns. Um, but I also, it's part of the reason that I'm not worried about if they choose to give Dobnik or Thorpe an opportunity early in the year. Um, they're going to score runs, and that should give pitchers a very strong confidence that if they can go out and do their jobs and throw strikes, they can give up a couple of runs and still rack up some wins. So if they can all keep their team in the game and, and Bailey is a veteran, you know, he's what, 32, maybe 33 right now. He's been through ups and downs and good and a lot of bad and injuries and all of that. You know, I think he's probably got the right frame of mind to be able to handle whatever's thrown at him. Uh, and that is the value in, in having a veteran or three around um, is that more so than the stuff. Um, he's going to be fine uh, as long as he's healthy He's, uh, I think, the kind of guy that's not going to be very exciting. Twins fans aren't and necessarily shouldn't be uh, excited about him, but he's a four, pitch, four a number four type of pitcher, and uh, a solid number four can win a lot of games with this lineup. Okay, with the addition of Josh Donaldson, does your grade for the offseason improve or – because they, they still haven't gotten pitching, uh, high upgrade pitching. What grade would you give the Twins right now for their offseason? Before the Donaldson deal, I was in the B plus or B minus C plus range, and I'd put them well at a B plus now. Um, you know, they didn't go get an impact starter yet. That doesn't mean that they won't. Um, and it doesn't even mean right now is the right time. They weren't even involved necessarily or didn't really have a chance on four of the five bigger-named starters, and the fifth one isn't that exciting anyway. Um, so I'm not worried about them not getting those guys. I, I think they'll keep looking, and I still think things can happen. So, I mean, I'd give them a B-plus. Uh, I mean, this, this team is good. And even, you know, you say they haven't added high-end pitching, but – I mean, if things work out at the guys that they've signed, they've improved, and they've got a really good bullpen potentially with both veterans and some young arms. And 
uh, different types of pitchers. Um, and they've got a couple of really solid starters and some veteran types and other guys that are ready to take that step. Um, you know, I think this team's in a good place, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give them an A, but I don't think, I don't think it should be any lower than a B plus either. It's been a good off season. I kind that's kind of where I'm at right now with it. If they would have gotten a, a high end starting pitcher, I would have gave them an an A, but I, I I think they're in a good position overall, and uh, we'll have to see how how that works out. My last question for you, then I'll let you go. Uh, break down the AL Central for me, where you think the Donaldson signing puts the Twins when it comes to being the favorite or not the favorite, or is Cleveland going to challenge? Is Chicago going to challenge? And your thoughts on on uh, Kansas City and Detroit? Kansas City and Detroit are going to be bad. Um, Cleveland still has their pitchers. They have Clevenger and Bieber. And they have Lindor, so as of right now, I think they're the uh, second-place favorite. And I think the White Sox made some good moves, and their young guys have a chance to make them uh, improve. Uh, So I think they will jostle with Cleveland for that second and third spot, possibly even a, uh, you know, second wild card type of a positioning maybe. Um, So maybe not. And, I mean, the Donaldson move makes the Twins the clear-cut favorite. I mean, when you asked me this a week or two ago, um, I think I said kind of the same thing, but I thought, you know, maybe the uh, Twins might be a little closer to Cleveland and, and Chicago. But, um, you know, I think the Donaldson takes takes the uh, team to a new level. And as we know, I mean, a lot more can still happen. The, this front office has made quite a few moves in March the last couple of years, so I don't expect that they're done even. How surprised were you that they did spend the money and and get a free agent like Josh Donaldson? I mean, I'm not surprised they spent the money. I think they wanted to spend the money. It was just a matter of getting someone to take it. Um, and I I think as much as we want impact pitching, you know, to go another $30 million on Zach Wheeler would have made no sense. You know, Bumgarner wasn't coming here. Cole and Strasburg weren't coming here. Ryu, to me, is way too risky to give that fourth year to, and I fully am behind them not signing him. I think they wanted to spend money, and I think they have spent money. They're somewhere around 140 which is, you know, not I mean, it's probably close to that 50%, maybe just shy of it. So they're where they should be. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to spend a little bit more, but it's going to be a matter of can they make a trade to uh, to do to to add an impact starter or something. And and if not, you know, I mean, they're at a 140 now, and they have wiggle room too. So I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't force anything at this point. I'm just like surprised because they've never done this before. This is not your mom and dad's twins spending pattern. And that's what surprises me. 
No, but we've always heard that the poll ads have never been the reason that they didn't spend. Jerry Ryan used to say all the time that he could have spent more. He chose not to. Uh, the front office with Felvey and Levine have basically said when when they got to this point, they would spend, and they have. Um, and I, like I said, I think they would be okay with spending more, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the seats, I think, at Target Field this year. So, you know, there could be even more spending next year. Um, I mean, to me, it's way more important to lock up for Rios than to go, you know, spend more money. Um, and honestly, as you and I have talked about over the years, I don't really care what the salary number is. If it's 130, 140, 150, I don't care. Um, as long as they're making good, smart baseball decisions um, that are going to keep them viable for not just the next year or two, but for the next decade, I'm fully behind that and will support that anytime. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Seth, uh, have a good time down at uh, down in the cities with the Diamond Awards and Twins Fest and the the meltdown. Uh, we'll we'll have to have you on in a couple weeks to hear all about it. Sounds good. Thanks, Travis. That was Seth Stowes of Twins Daily. Uh, he's down at Twins Fest right now. He went to the Diamond Awards last night. Last, <coughs> last night. And he's at Twins Fest right now. Um, it's always great to talk to Seth because he, he's about as plugged in as there is with the minor leaguers. Um, our, our next guest is Steve Burr from Knuckleballs.com. Knuckleballs blog, actually. And he had some interesting uh, opinions. And so let's go to him. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is friend of the show and the founder of knuckleballsblog.com and a contributor to Twins Daily, uh, Steve Burr. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring Steve on and we'll talk some twins. Steve, how's it going? Doing well. Hope everything's fine with you as well. Yeah, I was a little under the weather, but I'm starting to feel better, so that's a good sign. Uh, my my first question for you is, what was your reaction when you, with all the rumors out there, when it actually happened that the, the Twins signed Josh Donaldson? Well, as you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter or anything would probably point out very quickly. I've been doubtful that it would happen. I I honestly did not think that would happen. I did not think the Twins would uh, open the checkbook up and and write that kind of check. Uh, I have been consistently a I'll believe it when I see it kind of guy. 
And uh, sure enough, they did it. And so I have to believe it. And I think you have to give him credit for it. I think it's, uh, I think that he, along with, uh, well, you know, the obvious guys, uh, Cole and Strasburg and maybe Wheeler, those four guys were the, the top guys available. And they went out and got one of them. So uh, I, I give them all the credit in the world, and I'm excited about it. Um, I, I was wondering after they missed out on Zach Wheeler, even though there was not much of a chance that he was going to come to Minnesota, was in your mind was it about run prevention, or did this seem like an odd fit for you, adding another bat to the Twins? Uh, already pulling line up. Well, it's, at first blush, yeah, it made me think just a little bit. I, I was a little bit surprised by it. But the more you think about it, the more you think, you know, they certainly, regardless of whether they got a uh, one of those top pitchers, all right, they were going to almost have to do something with their infield defense. Now, they didn't have to go out and get a third baseman. They could go out and get a second baseman or a shortstop and move Polanco or Elias around. Somebody else plays third base. Now, there were, there were plenty of options that they could do, could uh, approach to try to improve their infield defense. In getting Donaldson, obviously, they killed two birds with one stone. They, they uh, threw a, an incredibly – strong bat in the middle of the lineup and improved their uh, infield defense behind all the pitchers. So uh, it's a, it's expensive. It's a risk, uh, certainly with his age and uh, some of his uh, injury issues and such, but it's, it's time to take those risks. Now is the time for the Twins to do that. And they've done it. Um. What about uh, – I saw a video on YouTube of some of his uh, blow-ups. Does his uh, edge, as I would call it, bother you, or do you like that in a player? I don't think I'd like to have 25 guys like that in my clubhouse, but i sure like to have a couple. Uh as long as they're smart about it when they're doing it. I mean, there, there's a time to get excited and a time to be a little bit cool. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, what I've seen of him. I think, uh, I think having a little bit of that edge, again, it doesn't turn into 25 guys uh, that are letting themselves get out of control. I think is uh, I think it's good. I think it can be a strong mix in the clubhouse. Uh, and you know, Dan, people probably wondered the same thing about Dan Gladden coming into the Twins clubhouse back in the day. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a problem. I think it, it sometimes depends on who the manager is as well. You know, there's, you have to have a manager who is respected and has the ability to control situations and keep them from getting out of out of control. 
we don't know for sure if Rocco is that kind of manager or has that sort of uh, ability, but I don't think we have any reason to believe he isn't. I think he's got a lot of respect in the clubhouse, and and I I really don't expect it to be a negative. How much of a positive? Sometimes that whole clubhouse thing is a little bit overstated, I think, but uh, I don't think it'll be a negative, and it has the potential uh, to be a positive influence. Um, what was your opinion also on to another guy, um, Miguel Sano signing that three-year plus an option for guaranteed $30 million? Uh, what do you think of that? Well, I've never been as big on Sano as a lot of people are, but I don't think that there's really much to this either. I think that uh, it, he was at that point where you either want to try to extend him or you want to think about trying to replace him. And I don't think it would have made a lot of sense at this point for the Twins to try to replace him. So you go ahead and try to extend him on a reasonable deal. And I think they got that. It's, I wouldn't call it a, a terribly team-friendly deal, but it's not a, a – an extreme player-friendly deal either. It's not a deal that, let's say, a year or two down the line, uh, there is a deal offered where you might want to get get a decent return, maybe a a top-of-the-line pitching prospect or something for a Miguel Snow. If you want to do that, this contract's not going to preclude that from happening. Nobody's going to worry about having to pay him too much. It's a fair deal. It made a lot of sense, I think, to, to get it done. Right. I, was, I wish they'd do something similar with the Bereas, obviously. Yeah, obviously they would like to, but he views himself in the Zach Wheeler type. Not He's not going to get as much because of the fact that he's not a free agent. He's two years away from free agency. But could you see them finding common ground this spring to get a deal done? I think it gets done this spring or it doesn't get done at all. Uh, I I get the feeling that Barrios and his agent are very confident in his abilities and it almost feels like they're playing for a breakout year. They want to see uh, him come through and have a truly you know, a, a breakout year that puts him up into that top tier of potential free agents and, uh, and gets him that huge payday early in his life rather than having to wait and get it when he's 30 years old or something. So I don't I don't think there's a very good chance that they actually get a deal done with him, unfortunately. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh I can't say that I blame him either. If I were in that situation and I had that kind of talent, uh, he's willing to gamble on himself, and, and he's taking a risk. There's there's no doubt about it because he goes out a shoulder and he goes out an elbow, and he's going to cost himself a ton of money by taking this approach. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it I, may work very well for him, or it may not work at all. I'm one of those people that believes that 
pitchers should take the money and position players should bet on themselves? I think that that's that, a logical, uh, logical approach. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I think if I were a pitcher, that's how I would approach it. Uh, if somebody wanted to, to basically set me up for life uh, and I could still foresee myself being a free agent at age 30, 31, something like that, uh, I, would, I would absolutely do that as long as I think it's a fair deal. And, and I like the clubhouse I'm in. I like the environment I'm pitching in and the city I'm in and that sort of thing. Sure, I, that's exactly the way I would approach it. Uh, but that's, you know, that's not everybody. Hmm. Uh, another guy I want to ask you about uh, that's really uh, – betting on himself is Jake Odorizzi. He took the qualifying offer of 17.8 and they can't offer him a qualifying offer next year. So if he doesn't have a good year, he kind of is up up a creek. Do you foresee a, a good year out of, out, out of uh, Odorizzi? I think so. I think they'll have a good year, but you also have to just imagine, don't you, that he's kicking himself for taking that offer now. I mean, the last – I don't blame him for doing it because I would have, too, after the last two years of free agency and the way things were dragging on until January, February, into March before some of these guys were getting any kind of contracts. And a lot of the guys that turned down qualifying offers – we're having to settle for lower offers. I mean, absolutely, I don't blame him for taking that. And as a twin fan, I'm glad he did. And I probably would have too. But then <laughs> the the ink isn't even dry on his uh, accepting the qualifying offer, and all of a sudden the starting picture market blows up, and guys are signing three, four, five-year deals. Uh, He'd have obviously been very, very popular in the free agent market the way it turned out to go this year. But it's, it's hard to uh, – it's, it's, I kind of feel for the guy because he just, you know, just picked the wrong year to, to take that qualifying offer. But I think he'll do fine. I don't know that he'll uh, – be worth that seventeen, eighteen million dollars? Will he have that good a year? Maybe, maybe not. But I, I like what I saw out of him last year, and uh, I think he'll be a, uh, well, he's going to play a, a huge role for the Twins, obviously, uh, for better or worse. Um, what, what, what's your thoughts on the young guys being, uh, unless there's a, a trade? Uh, being in control of of the ro- two thirds, two fifths of the rotation, and uh, Dubnik, uh, Thorpe, and uh, Smeltzer, do you uh, are you optimistic about those guys or pessimistic? Well, I I feel pretty optimistic that one out of the three will uh, uh, be effective enough early in the year to get you through whether two out of the three are, are likely to be that effective. 
I don't know. Now I start to get a little nervous about it. But the fact that you've got the third guy then that you can shuffle in there, you know, at the first time that let's just I mean, just pick names here. Let's say Dobnik and Torp starts the season in the in the rotation and Smelters is a phone call away in Rochester. Well, uh, Dobnik and Torp, one of them gives up has a couple of bad outings out of the gate. You got Smelter there right away. It's not like if one of those guys fails, you have no options, you know. So you've got a little bit of a, a cushion there. I would feel much more comfortable if one or more of those spot, one of those spots was uh, uh, filled in by somebody with uh, uh, a little more pedigree to them, a little more history and experience. But uh, there's nobody left on the, the free agent market that I'm the least bit interested in. And so yeah. it would have to come as a trade. I'm not interested in trading for a number four starter. I mean, you might as well let the kids get their uh, get their innings in if that's the best you can do. Yeah, I uh, I I'm <coughs> excuse me. I am all about John Gray. I think he is the perfect addition to the Twins. And uh, I really hope the Twins make an effort to trade for him. Um, but who knows? What do you uh, think? What do you suppose the Rockets are asking for him? What do, you, what do you think they'd be asking for John Gray? I mean, it, it would be a high price, obviously. But yeah. uh, is it uh, Trevor Larnick? I'll. I'll bet it's let me let me pose it to you this way. Uh, let's let's look at uh Larnick, Kirilov, and Lewis. Uh maybe throw Greater all in there. Greater all and, and let's look at those four guys and if the Rockies were saying we want two of them, now they're gonna name the two, but if, if it costs you two out of those four guys to get John Gray, you do it. I think I probably would. If if I can have the choice of which one to, to give, I'd probably do it. But if the Rockies are saying, I want uh, Lewis and Kirilov, I probably wouldn't. But if, if I can Kirilov and Larnick or Kirilov and... Uh, Gratterall, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you see, the, the, two, about, the two I would be, the, the two I would be hesitant to, to agree to, might be Kirilov and Larnick because there's your two uh, power bat corner outfielders and potential Eddie Rosario replacements. And I, I'm not sure I want to give up both of those guys. I would probably give up one of them. Uh, but you know the thing is, and, and I love me some prospects. Obviously, I'm a minor league guy, but you're reaching the point in this organization right now where uh, being willing to give up some of your very top prospects to give yourself the best shot at 
uh, at a ring. You know, it was getting to be that time. Now, I've, I've said before, yeah, maybe even on, on your podcast, but I like John Gray. And, uh, but that was before, that was before Donaldson signed. Now that you've got him, I think there's a little bit maybe to be said for holding off on the trade until you see who is really having a good year this year. It's one thing to say, no, oh, John Gray, you know, he looked, he looked pretty good last year. Is is this stat or is that stat or whatever, whatever your favorite stats are. He was really good at that. He's likely to have a good season this year as well. But pitching is a funny thing, and you just don't know mm-hmm. until you get into a season, into a season how good a pitcher is going to be. And right now, since you're playing to win immediately. I think there's something to be said for holding back your best prospect to use in a trade for a pitcher who is having a really good year this year for a non-contender. And every year there are those guys. They're going to be there, whether it's May or June or July. They're going to be there. And I, I'm, I'm starting to come around to saying, you know, let's keep those guys – back here and go get a guy who's really having a good year come you know, May or June, preferably July, if you have to wait that long. But uh, let's see what these guys are, are doing this year before we agree to trade our very best product. I, uh, I, uh, I kind of agree with you because if you shoot all your bullets at uh, a B a uh, player like John Gray, who I, who's a probably a, a two or a three. Maybe you could get someone that's a uh, clear cut number one. Yeah, you know I have a little higher opinion of Gray's potential. He might be a one, but you're right. He also might be a three. But we don't know. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, well he. We're going to project he's not going to be in Denver anymore, so he's not in Coors Field. Maybe he'll be better elsewhere. There's a lot of projection that goes with with him to to be able to envision him as a top-of-the-rotation guy. Well, maybe we wait. Let's wait and see who actually is looking like a top-of-the-rotation guy. And uh, and if we have to give up a Lewis or a Sherlock or a Larnick or a Gretterall or maybe more than one of those guys. Let's make sure you're getting a guy who's having a good year in 2020, not a guy who's had a good year in 2019 and projects to maybe even be better in 2020. That's where I'm at now. The signing of Donaldson is what moved me over into that position. Yeah, I I, kind of agree with you. Uh, my last question for you is: uh, Does Rich Hill have anything left in your mind? You know, I don't. I can't say that I saw enough of Rich Hill or paid enough attention to him last year to know. Uh, I I think this, and this is going to sound a little funny, maybe coming from a guy who hasn't been the the biggest supporter of the Twins front office. But I'd like to think that those guys know what they're doing. And if they're scouting, 
their analysis, uh, if if they're of the opinion that Rich Hill can be a second half of the season, uh, almost like getting a, a, a trade deadline uh, deal, if they believe that he's uh, uh, he's got that potential, then sure, why shouldn't they believe that? It's not like it cost them anything but money. Yeah, I agree. All right, Steve, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always uh, a pleasure. Uh, We'll have to do this again come spring training. All right, sounds good, Travis. Thanks a lot. That was Steve Burr with his opinion on the Twins. He's a great guy, and he gave his opinion, and I kind of like the opinions that he gave. I think the Twins shouldn't be done, and we'll have to see In about seven minutes, I'll be joined by Andy to talk about the Gophers' victory last night. They won 62-59 to over Ohio State. And I'm going to ask him about the recruiting So I'm going to put you on hold, and when Andy calls in, um, we'll get started on that. All right. Goodbye.
Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is uh, a big Gopher fan. Uh, we know him as Andy. He uh, also on Twitter is he hate me. So without any further ado, I'm gonna bring Andy on the show and we'll get at it. Andy, how's it going? Good. How are you, Travis? I'm excellent. Thanks for uh, making the time. I appreciate no it. Um, let's start out last night. Uh, the Gophers got their first road win of the year. Uh, Marcus Carr hit a three with like three seconds to go. How big of an impact has Marcus Carr made on the Gophers as they've uh, resurrected their NCAA tournament hopes. Yeah, I, th- I think he's been huge. Just going from a year last year where you didn't really have a true point guard on the roster and going from, you know, Nate Mason was there for four years and now bringing in Carr, who had to sit out last year, unfortunately. I think he's really put the team on his back in certain aspects that, so, you know, Oturu has been having a great year too, and he's getting all the accolades because he's a future NBA first-round pick, likely. But Carr really is the engine of the of the team. You know, he he's out there for pretty much the whole game. He's averaging almost 37 minutes a game, so that kind of tells you he's either going to play the whole game or he might sit out for a two or three-minute period here and there. But he's uh, he's been unbelievable. Um. Speaking of Aturo, uh, he's been struggling with uh, the double teams. What can he do to to counteract that? 
Well, I think nor- normally any post player like Oturu has the same deal with Murphy. The first sign of a double team that comes, you know, somebody's open. And I think one of the things that these college guys try to do too much, and that was pretty evident with Jordan Murphy, was try to get past the double team by themselves versus relying on teammates. And especially when you got guys like Kelsher and Peyton Willis that are good shooters, I think these guys just have a tendency to kind of try to do it themselves. And, you know, there there's plenty of times where it does work out where he's able to get past the double team, but you still would like to see some quicker passing, quicker decision-making where when that, when that ball comes in, then you kick it back out once the double team shows. And then as soon as that guy moves back, then they try to get the ball back into the post and let him go one-on-one. But yeah, I, I think there just needs to be quicker decision making when those when those guys see that extra defender coming. Do you expect that to be something that every team is going to attack a true now that he has shown that he struggles a little bit with it? Yeah, I I think you know the, going back to the Iowa game was a game that looked pretty bad for the Gophers. And I think they obviously had some, some size that frustrated Tour a little bit more, but there's, there's teams that they're going to, they're going to put guys on him and try to make other people beat you. I mean, no, there's no question right now that if the Gophers win a game, it's because Marcus Carr and Daniel Tour. there's not, you know, Kelsher and Willis might hit some shots, but nobody's really emerging as a third, fourth option. That's consistent. So I would assume you know, here and there, and the Gophers kind of run the same pick and roll top of the key with those two guys a lot. So it, it makes sense that these teams would be keen on them as much as possible, trying to get the ball in the hands of other guys. And even though last year we probably said, yeah, we'll take Gabe Kelscher on a wide open look, you know, his percentage has gone down a little bit this year. And it's, uh, especially the last, you know, few weeks of shooting just hasn't clicked as much. But I, I think he's one of those guys that can rebound from a you know a, a shooting slump. So at this point, I would assume every single team is going to just as much as possible try to slow those two guys, slow them down, and then try to make the other guys beat them. Um, what do you think about who who is someone that you think could? Uh, eventually uh, join the party. Is it is it Kelsher or is it uh, Demir? Is it some or are, are we basically stuck with just uh, Aturo and uh, and the point guard? Well, I think it's for sure. On, it's Kelsher and, and Peyton Willis. I mean, those are the two guys that you got to key in on. And, you know, they have, they have shown some signs lately of hitting shots. And I know Gabe's last two games, he scored a little bit more than what he did the previous weeks. And the, but the shooting percentage hasn't been that great, but getting, getting Willis back too. I mean, when you have those two guys on the wing and especially when you know the, the attention that Carr and a tour demand, those guys have to be ready for open looks. And and I think they do get them. It's just a matter of in the Rutgers game, 
you saw some struggles on shooting. And I think last night, it seemed like last night went a little bit better when, when those two had, had, op- had opportunities. They did come through, and that's probably why they walked out with a win. Um, what is? Can you put your finger on the struggles of, of Gabe Kelscher after being the, one of the most important guys on the team last year? And this year he's really struggling with his shot. Can you put your finger on what the difference is? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think it's just a matter of certainly the the shooting. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the games right now. You know, at Purdue three for ten, Northwestern two for six, Michigan State one for six, one for five, zero oh for seven. I mean, he's it's just uh, it's one of those slumps where you're not quite sure what's going on. The, I think the other issue that you see too is the minutes, um, you know, outside of the the Northwestern game, which was a win at home, he's playing in the upper thirties in minutes every single game. And I think, I, I think there can be something said for, you know, he's a very good on ball defender. And I think they do use him a lot. He was the guy obviously last year, that would chase around um, Carson Edwards from Purdue. So I, I think the, the the easy solution is trying to get more minutes for someone like Trey Williams to give a little bit more of a break to Kelsher to keep his legs a little more fresh. But that's an issue now in the last two or three years that Patino's had where he just doesn't really trust the bench, especially in the, the guards. So he'll, he'll run out uh, Carr and Kelsher for nearly the entire game. Willis has been hampered with an ankle injury, so he's usually the guy that does get a break for Trey Williams. But I, I think as the season goes on, they definitely need to get Trey Williams a little more minutes, especially covering for Kelsher, just to keep his keep his legs a little more fresh. Yeah, I, I could see that 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 he's a little tired, and that could affect his his shooting. Um. Okay, on Sunday they they face Michigan State, who's coming off a loss to Indiana. What do the Gophers need to do to come out of that with a victory? Yeah, I I think the the biggest thing is remembering that you're at home. I mean, they they've played very well at home. Obviously, they lost the game at DePaul, for against DePaul at home, but other than that, they've been a really, really good team. They've knocked off some some good teams at home, and you know, hopefully the momentum that they've had can carry them through this, but Michigan State seems like it's one of those teams that every time they play them every single year, they, you know, it's almost like a they're in awe of what Michigan State accomplishes, and Tom Izzo always comes in, and I, I, I think Tom Izzo brings his team saying, this is a team we know we can beat, they generally have a deeper bench than Minnesota, so they're and they're always physical, and that might be an area where the Gophers don't quite match up so well, be, just because they have a short bench. They don't rotate a lot of guys, and you know if there's any foul trouble with Oturu, they're in really big trouble. Um, I I can't think of a name now. Uh, the the matchup between Carr 
and the point guard for Michigan State. Cash Should be a good one. Yeah, Cash wins it. Okay. Um, what does Carr need to do to neutralize or at least um, Well, I it's 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 probably the same deal. I mean, I I have to think that Winston, you know, Michigan State's thinking the same thing. How, what do we do with Marcus Carr? I mean, I I think it's going to be a really good matchup of two point guards, and it's not it's not just that these guys can score. You know, Winston can get streaky here and there too. I mean, he takes a ton of shots, but I think what it is is these guys are both physical point guards. I mean, they're very good defensive point guards. And they're not afraid to, you know, bump, get get into it and potentially pick up some. I mean, I, I think that's where, as I look at some of Winston's stats, I think one of the issues that that Carr might have is the foul trouble. I mean, Carr generally picks up a foul or two a game that are just not smart fouls, and I think you know they're going to need him to stay on the floor to guard Winston because their only really other option is Peyton Willis or. Uh, B.J. Greenlee, who's a pretty raw freshman, so they're they're going to need Carr at his top game to come out with a win for sure. I, I'm I'm curious about this, and I wanted to get your thoughts. Do you see Carr and Nadu leaving after this year, or is there a chance? That they'll stay. I th- I think I think Otura is a guy that right now could be you know it's probably a fifty fifty situation a coin flip of whether he stays or goes and the reason I bring that up is because I know Ryan James I believe has said that Otura might be on track to graduate in three years so there's a possibility that academically. You know, he he says, oh, I can I can stay one more year, get my degree, and then still be a first round draft pick in the NBA. He's got tons of potential. I think he's for sure an NBA player. I mean, no question. Right now, it's it's not like a Jordan Murphy or Mayor Coffee situation where you think they're good enough to play in the NBA, but you know it has to be the right situation and all that. Oturo for sure can play in the NBA. You wish he was a little bit taller, maybe, to be a true center in the NBA, but he's got the skills. So. If he left after this year, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, if he's got millions of dollars waiting for him on the other side, I don't think anyone would fault the kid for doing that. But I do see a scenario where he he says, ah, you know, I'll I'll do one more year. He obviously loves college. He's a pretty big proponent of the U of M, so it's I I could see him staying. As far as Carr, you know, hard to say. I don't I I think he's had a he's had an up and down year. The the times when he's been up has been pretty high, so that's been fun to watch. I would anticipate he's back for another year, but if he has a really good season next year and plays with a little more consistency, I could see him leaving too because he is technically next year in his fourth year of college after sitting out last year. So it's uh, you, could, you could definitely see a scenario where both are back next year, but then not the year after. That's kind of what I'm thinking, uh, because uh, Aturo still has some things to work on, uh, namely his foul shooting, 
and uh, dealing with double teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Um, what What do you think the odds of uh, getting uh, Carolyn Walton? I've asked you this before, but this is the first time I've had you on the show asking, do you think we can get Walton, or is that going to be a tough get? Well, I I think they can get him. I mean, I'd say that for for those who aren't familiar with Kerwin Walton, he plays at Hopkins. He is a one of you know he's a top fifty sixty recruit in the nation. He's a wing. Um, didn't for whatever reason didn't commit this spring or this this past fall when a lot of the schools like North Carolina, um, I can't uh, Arizona was hard after him. I think Texas. We've heard Vanderbilt. We've heard Iowa State. Creighton. I mean, there's and and now there's Georgetown and. You can't. It's it's hard to even keep track of all the schools. He has so many schools still after him, and I think even recently North Carolina had an assistant at one of his games, so they might not necessarily be out. But anyways, Walton is a big time prospect. Do the Gophers have a shot? Yes, because they're local. I think there's real there's real uh, there, there's momentum on 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 his side to stay home and play here. And I think he's been at the, at games, probably four or five, maybe six home games this year. So I think that tells you that he's for real interested in being here and he's out of official visits. So if a, if new schools like Georgetown come, come up calling, he can't take his, he can't take a visit there unless he pays for it as on his own because he's already done, all of his senior official visits. So that, I, in my opinion, I think that gives the Gophers an extra, especially with these new schools still coming in. So I think that's good good momentum for him to be here. And I think the more he watches this year, I think Patino's done a great job of giving players like Carr, Oturu, and then Willis and Kelsher. He gives them a lot of freedom. And I think that's where someone like Kerwin Walton could say, you know what? I why wouldn't I come here? Why wouldn't I stay home? There's a great situation here. The Gophers, even though they their record isn't great this year, they've won they've won some big games. So I think this would be a good spot for them. Yeah, I I I think it's sixty forty. Is that too high of a percentage? No, I mean I, home? I think. I think that's that's a good one just because I think I I have to say I have to assume that if someone were to were to put a betting favor right now I think it's Minnesota just because of the fact of how much he's spent how much time he's spent around the campus and the team this year. I mean, I, I he's been down in the locker room at least two games after they've won. And I think that's important to to note that how much time he's spent in there. Of course, these coaches can keep coming into his high school and watching his games and all that, but the amount of time that he's spending with the Gophers in the locker room at at their games, I think that's. I don't know why they wouldn't be the betting favorite at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, last question, and I'll let you go. Um, do you think uh, 
this is a NCAA tournament team, and if 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 so, what do they need to do to lock up a, a bid? Well, the I, I it's hard to say right now if they if they have. You know, I, I would have said a couple of weeks ago, probably not. I mean, maybe a, a, a bubble team or, you know, one of the first teams out. But the fact that they've put together some really good wins recently, of course, now being I, Ohio State almost looks bad on their resume because Ohio State's 2-6 and six in the Big Ten now. But you know, I, th- I think if they if they continue to hold serve at home, I mean, they're 11-8 and eight right now, so – Five and four in the conference, which means you got eleven more games in conference. If you can go six and five in those eleven and get to you know seventeen wins, get get one in the in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, you're I think you're putting yourself in a position where you could be there. The problem is there's a lot of really good <laughs> Big Ten teams right now. Of course, I mean you got Michigan Michigan at two and five in the conference, Purdue at three and five, and then obviously Ohio State, which was you know, a top five team there for a while or they're, they're sitting at two and six in the conference. So they, there's, it is going to be interesting to see how the whole conference, I mean, I, there's no way 12 out of 14 teams make it in the big 10. So the next, you know, two or three weeks should really tell us who's going where. And as long as the Gophers keep holding at home, I think, I think they're putting themselves in a position where they, they should be in the tournament, but you know, if they would have if they would have won one one or two of those early season games that they lost, I think we'd for sure be talking about a tournament team right now. Um, Joe Lenardi today had them as one of, one of the last four teams in, so uh, that's something to th- to think about. They're at least in the conversation. Yes. which is a good, a good sign. All right, Andy, I want to thank you for uh, making the time. It's always fun to talk, go for basketball with you. Uh, you have a good night, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Travis, for having me. Yep, thanks a lot. Good night. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is Jeremy Nygaard. He is a contributor to Twins Daily. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is a, a contributor at uh, um, excuse me, a contributor at TwinsDaily.com, and uh, a friend of the show, uh, Jeremy Nygaard. So, without any further ado, I'm going to bring Jeremy on, and we'll get at it. Hey, Travis, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How's uh, how's the season going? Um, our basketball season? Yeah. Uh, not bad. We're we're game over 500, uh, 500 in the conference. 
we're about to uh about to embark on a pretty long road trip that we well it's not really a road trip we just only we only have two more home games of the uh of the what would be nine we have left so lots of lots of road games lots of lots of buses lots of fun stuff coming up yeah that should be fun uh let's jump into the twins what was your impression when the news broke that Josh Donaldson had signed with the Twins. Um, you know, I, I was excited to see it. I'd kind of given up hope when it had when it had drug on for as long as it had. Um, you know, to me, it felt like he was kind of pitting the the Nats and the Braves against each other, and and hoped to get that fourth year. Um, you know, and then I think there were some rumors that he was looking for for nine figures, and you know, I think that the Twins did well to to secure him you know i I don't think that it's going to be a a situation where fans can hope for for the productivity that he's given for the next five years um but i i think you know for this year and next year that that it's going to be a you know a net positive both offensively and defensively and and i think that's ultimately what the what the goal should have been um you know to to strive to, to get better on both sides of the of the baseball and and you know there's some question marks I would guess still about the rotation but um, as far as shoring up your infield defense they've taken a step to do that and they've elongated the lineup even more which seemed relatively impossible as as we approach the off season. Yeah, um, what's your thoughts on um, Miguel Sano playing first base? Is that going to be a problem or do you think he can play doable? first phase. Yeah, I think I think what what you have to look for or or compare anyway is the upgrade from Sonoda Donaldson to third grade to, at third base uh compared to the downgrade from Crone to Sonoda at first base. And no matter how you shake that out, I think that it's going to be a, a net positive because I think Donaldson is a significant step up um from Sonoda you know, I think Snow did things well um, at third base, and and he he could play there, but he's a, a below average third baseman, uh, and and Donaldson's above average. So, it, when you flip it to the other side, I think Crone was slightly above average defensively as a first baseman, and and Snow will will probably be slightly below to below, uh, but still a, a bigger a bigger gain on the on the left side than drop on the right side. Now uh, on the pitching, uh, do we have enough pitching to uh, to contend for a World Series, or do we need to make a, a, a trade or two to even be in contention? Because I kind of look at them as a playoff team, but uh, I, I'm having a hard time seeing them as a uh, contender with the Yankees and the Astros in the, in yeah, the playoffs. I, I think, you know, I think what, what we're going to see is the, and maybe we won't even see it, but I think the front office will stay active in their pursuit of a of an upgrade um, pitching-wise. I'm not going to say that they, that they don't have enough talent um, to contend because you could have guys take significant leaps forward. Uh, I think they have enough I think they have enough uh, to start the season. Uh, I think they have enough to, you know, unless there's injuries or, you know, things that they don't really control, I think they have enough to win the Central again. Um, 
and, and then I think it kind of depends on what version of Rich Hill is is do do we have when healthy? Um, how good is Pineda when he returns from his suspension? What 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 do you see from the young guys like Thorpe and and Dobnik and Smeltzer? Um, Gratterall's kind of a kind of a wild card. Is he is he someone that can contribute? Um, you know, five six innings at a time. Um, does Brios take the step up to be an ace? Is Odorizzi um, take a step up from last year? And I, and I think if if the answer is yes to a lot of those questions, they probably don't need to feel obligated to to add a guy. Now, if 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 Bailey um, doesn't really do much, and as Hill rehabs, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to contribute much. Um, and maybe Barrios has more clunkers than normal, or Odorizzi does, um, and you don't get much from the from the prospects. Then I think absolutely you have to make that move. Um, but you probably don't have to make that move till July, because I think the lineup will keep okay. this team this this team you know in contention and in you know the driver's seat in the central through that point. And I think that that's a a good way to to do it. Um, you know, would it be disappointing? Uh, for a second straight year, if if it's like oh you, the lineup's good enough, but the rotation's not, and there's not guys added, yeah, I think that that would be a little tougher to swallow. Last year, that you know it was let's let's try to get some rotation help, but the bullpen needs to be shored up. They got Dyson, um, and and it ended up starting Dobnik in Game Three, which if Pineda would have been suspended before, I think there's a little more urgency to make that move. If Pineda's Pineda, and, and for the rest of the second half of the year, the Twins are 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 maybe not going to beat the Yankees, but I think they're okay in the in the wild card round. And so I think that's that. There's there's the potential that the Twins already have three um, three starting pitchers that are that are at the caliber to make playoff starts, and and there's you know other guys that could certainly step forward. Um, but I, I do think that you know when when April turns to May and May turns to June. The, the desire to add a pitcher is either going to really ramp up um, and, and you got to look it for a frontline guy, maybe on a team that's not contending, um, or or maybe the, the, a lot of those questions are answered. And I think, you know, the bullpen did a good job of answering their own questions and, and maybe that rotation can do the same thing. Um, I, I know you, it, it's tough to add uh, um, by how much, decide on someone by how much they make but uh, Jake Odorizzi is going to be making almost $18 million this year. Is there more pressure on him to to up his game or is that just a, a hot take? Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think that Odorizzi will feel more pressure or have people put more pressure on him just from the fact that it's a one-year deal. Um and it was a pretty standard offer that he just chose to accept, and that was a risk that the Twins were willing to take. Um, the pressure he might put on himself is he's he pitched really well in the contract year last year, um, well better than you know I think people projected him to pitch, and now he's got to do that again. Uh, and knowing that there's no there can be no or no qualifying offer that he's going to be unrestricted, and so. You know, I think the pressure is not going to be from a from a payroll perspective. It's going to be from a he needs to perform to get the deal that he probably wasn't going to get because the QL was offered to him. And so, 
you know, he, he could certainly step up. I think there's more in the tank. Um, you know, I think another another year with Wes Johnson, another year with Garb behind the plate for him, um, we're going to continue to see progress. But the pressure's on him to perform internally because he needs to earn a big deal um, and really set himself up for life. Although if I made 17 point whatever million in this year, I'd probably feel pretty set up for life anyway. Yeah. Um uh, Jorge Blanco really struggled defensively last year. What does he need to to improve upon to to uh, become a better defensive shortstop? You know, I, I think that that we've kind of seen what he's going to be, um, and you just you li- you live with what he doesn't do well. You know, I, I think. I think he's just got to make the routine plays um, consistently. And when you can get a shortstop that can do that uh, while also being a, a very productive hitter, you, you take that. You know, you look around the league and there there are plenty of guys like that. Um, you know, if, if he was if he was an above-average shortstop, you probably don't require him to, to have the bat that he's had and, and been as good as he has been. And so... You know, I think at, at his age, what, what we see is what we're going to get. Um, and, you know, it'll be an interesting decision because Polanco's doesn't really have anywhere to go if, if shortstop doesn't work out. And in the same breath, the Twins don't really have anybody to play short if Polanco doesn't work out in the next couple of years. So I think you just you, you hope that he, he makes, you know, small improvements, slight adjustments to, to give himself a better chance. But, I don't think there's things that you say he's got to do this and this and this because I don't know that those are going to happen uh, when when you've got to the point where there's a lot of questions about him when he was younger. Is he going to stick it short? Um, and you know I think he's answered those questions as well as he could, but I don't expect that to you know for him to take a giant leap forward at this point. I just think he is who he is. Um, you're you're also a prospect guy, so I have a couple of questions prospect wise. Um, Royce Lewis had I don't know how you can say it wasn't a down year last year what in your mind does uh, he need to improve upon to maybe push Polanco out of shortstop well I think there's there's a lot of questions I think for him it's it's the being consistent all the time as well um, you know, he wasn't great with the bat last year. People had questions about his swing, all those things. Uh, but I think the the evaluators, the the people outside of the organization, um, you know, in, with his confidence, there was talk about you know too much swag, and and I don't think any of those concerns start in the organization. You know, he's a confident dude. He's a really good teammate. Um, you know, does, does, is shortstop going to be his, his long-term home? I I don't know that. Um, could he end up at third after Donaldson potentially? Could he end up at, at center if if Buxton doesn't work out? Could he end up at second? I think all those are are options. Uh, but the reality is is that he you know played a little bit in Double A last year. He's a, only a hand less than a handful of years removed from high school. Like you can be patient with the guy. Um, Polanco's uh-huh. not going anywhere. He's under, you know, he's under contract for a, a, a bunch more years. Like, let Lewis develop. Um, whether he's the number eight prospect or the number forty-eight prospect, really doesn't matter. But I think more importantly, I don't think it really matters to him. 
and and he's going to be you know he's going to continue to work hard, do what he does, get better, uh, and and if he develops into someone that can that can complement what what the Twins have in the organization, um, not not so much in 2020 but in 2021 and 2022, then that's a that's a positive. If if he doesn't take steps, you know I don't think anybody's anybody can really look at what the Twins are going to put in their lineup and then say, dang, if only Royce Lewis was ready because where are you going to play him? You know, you're not going to play him at third. You're not going to you're not going to bump the the starting all star shortstop who who's been a spark plug for most of the last you know two and a half years, um, and you're not going to bump Buxton if he's healthy. And I think you know if 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 push came to shove where Buxton's not healthy, you move Kepler and you have answers in the corner. So, you know, I think for for not only Lewis but Kirloff and Larnick, there's there's no hurry for these guys to, to come up and, and hopefully they're over ready um, when they do get that call because, there's there's like I said, there's no reason to call these guys up any earlier than you need to. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a, a guy I, I want to get your thoughts on because he had such a good year last year is uh, Trevor Larnick. What, what did you see out of him? Uh, you know, I think he, he did what, what people expected him to do um, just a little bit later, he he didn't hit for a ton of power. I don't seem to recall coming right out of the draft, um, but then started to show more of that power in a in a tough hitters environment at, in the Florida State League. So, um, you know, he he progressed a lot, um, was healthy for a whole year, hit the ball well, uh, and, and is a serviceable outfielder. So I think just doing you know kind of meeting expectations. Uh, for for him was was the big thing, and going you know ha- having most likely him Kirloff and Lewis a double way to start the year. There's going to be a lot less pressure on any of those three because they'll protect each other in the lineup. So I think you know I have him. If you bought Seth Seth and Tom's book this year, I have Larnick at number four um, behind Gratterall and uh, Lewis one and Kirloff two. But I think Larnick is is someone that that can potentially be an answer in a couple of years, uh, depending on what happens with Rosario's uh, status, you know, being a free agent after the, not this year, but the next year. Uh, but also, like we talked about with, do you need to go find a, a pitcher at some point? You can deal from your prospect capital. And I think all of the, the prospects are really guys that, that could be in that conversation to, to go get help if and when needed. Is there anyone that in your mind, is untouchable? No, and there and there shouldn't be. Um, you know, if, if a guy can provide value um, to the organization, I think that's what you look at, at at moving them. And if their if their perceived value um, if their perceived value outside of your organization is much higher than it is within the organization, those are the guys that are easiest to trade. Um, but on the flip side, when your perceived value um, is it, you're not going to get your perceived value because the other teams don't value guys much. Those are the guys that you just you don't trade. Um, and, and so I don't. If if Lewis, if the Twins feel you know so strongly about Lewis, and and the rest of the 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 league is is lukewarm on him, well he becomes a guy that isn't untouchable. But teams aren't going to agree on his value. You can't move move a guy like that. You know. Um, and I don't think that there's the, – the untouchable guys would be the guys that 
you know, you you think is the, the best prospect prospect in baseball, and other guys treat them like they're you know a really good prospect, and you just you're not going to agree on value. But I don't think it, it's responsible to ever say, yep, untouchable. Um, it, for a team, that for a contending team especially, you know, I think that the reality is when you you look down at the White Sox, they probably value their guys a little bit differently because they're going to bring them up young and they're going to they're going to let them develop. And there's there's not a lot of teams that are they're going to be able to call and say, hey, trade us trade us Lewis Robert and you know we'll help it'll help you right. So the, the White Sox will be like, well, we're not going to we're not going to trade him. But I don't think that that the Twins are in a position where they have to do that. If there's a call that's made and it's like, hey, we can get this guy that's going to help us right now at the cost of any of our prospects or any you know potentially two of our prospects or two of our higher prospects then that's a move that you, you absolutely have to consider. So long long story longer, no, untouchable doesn't really exist, and it shouldn't. All right, Jeremy, I want to thank you for making the time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, good luck on the rest of your season, yeah. and uh, you have a good day. Yeah, thanks, Travis. That was Jeremy Nygaard, a contributor to Twins Daily. And our next guest is um, John Miller. He was a beat reporter for Minnesota Daily this year. He's moving out to Montana. So this might be his last time on the show. So, we we talked about baseball, so I'm going to let you listen. All right. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is John Miller. He is the Gopher beat writer for the Minnesota Daily. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring John on and we'll get at it. John, are you there? I'm here, Travis. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Uh, how are you? I'm good. You know, just, just living the dream. <laughs> okay, my first question is, what was your uh, initial impression when you heard that the Twins had signed Josh Donaldson? I mean, I loved it. I mean, we uh, we talked on our – me and Jeremy on the Across the Metal podcast talked about last night how, you know, I wasn't really impressed with the pitching out there. I didn't think that – I didn't really want to splash too big on guys who you're taking a huge risk on, who you're banking on them to improve. So if you're going to invest in some money – invested in Donaldson and it's really not that bad of a contract and he should be able to play third base for at least three at least three out of the four years if not four all four years and he kind of provides that you know infield defense that Snow really couldn't provide you and also helps out Jorge Polanco a little bit on the left side so I love it I love the power if you're not going to be able to you know out pitch people you got to be able to out slug them where uh if you if you were the manager, where would you put him in the lineup? I've seen him as high as second or fourth. Would, would you hit him second? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind hitting him second, putting a rise or Garver or Kepler at first. But, yeah, maybe providing him with some protection behind, such as, like, Nelson Cruz or Miguel Sano. I mean, this lineup, I think you could you could plug any single hitter anywhere that you want, and that's the best thing about it with this signing. I mean, it's just going to take so much pressure off guys. And, you know, Nelson Cruz's bat was already a huge relief to that lineup last year. Now imagine a bat like Cruz is in that second – or Donaldson's in that second or third spot. Yeah, I was looking through the lineup yesterday, and I could see uh, Eddie Rosario or uh, Mitch Garver hitting eighth in this lineup, and they're they're better than number eight hitters. But that that that's just the way it's gonna gonna shake out. I, and and as we saw last year, Rocco changes things up quite a bit, so. You could see different people in different spots every day. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if you see somebody like, you know, Rosario batting ninth and putting Buxton at eighth just to have Buxton get a little better pitches. You know, people are going to have to attack him because when Rosario's hot, he's hot. You know, to be able to protect Buxton, get his bat hot, will just make this lineup even better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's There's really not a bad bad hitter in that in that lineup um, right and like last year at this time we were worried about Buxton's bat now we don't even have to worry about it like he can just go out and field and you know put up a 260 average like he did last year speaking of Buxton uh, a lot of Twins fans are, are, are anti-Buxton because he gets hurt a lot what would you tell him if you're his manager about all the injuries that that he has sustained the last few years. I wouldn't tell him to change a thing. I mean, he's one of the best fielders in baseball because, you know, he puts, he puts everything out there and that's, you don't want to change a guy's style of play like that. And if he just happens to get hurt, he gets hurt. Luckily for the twins, they have so much depth um, at the outfield position. They could slide Kepler over there. They'll probably have Lamonte Wade or, um, you know, those guys can, you know, all fill in. You can even throw in uh, Marwan Gonzalez. I think they'll be just fine. Let let Buxton play how he wants to play. Now locking him up to, a, you know, a multi-year deal, you know, is, is something that I would worry about. But I just let him play it out, and whatever happens, happens. Uh, speaking of contracts, uh, what was your thoughts on the Miguel Sano contract? Oh, I loved it. I mean, it's definitely a value, I think. I think Sano's turned the corner. Um, he didn't play in the Dominican League this year because he wanted to get better at playing first base. He didn't want to get hurt in the off season, and I think he's just really—you just follow him, and he's—he he really t- looked like he turned the page last year in that last half of the season. I mean, he was just hitting bomb after bomb after bomb. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about with him is just his glove at first base. But I mean, he could—you know—say Cruz retires after this year, then he can just play DH and just hit 35 to 40 bombs a year. So to me, it's, it's a bargain. It's a good deal for both sides. And he's just going to, you know, he's going to go out there and hit dingers and strike out a ton. Now, whether he can scoop or not, like we saw with CJ Crone is going to be the big thing. He's got to get that glove down. You know, first base is a pretty important position when it comes to fielding. Um, what is, is, do you, do you think uh, Nelson Cruz has another MVP caliber season in him or should we temper expectations for him 
Um, yeah, I still think Nelson's going to go out there and hit 30-plus bombs. And for what you're paying him to be a guy who just goes out and hit dingers, and he is a really big clubhouse leader. Um, you know, I've talked about that before. Like, those guys in the clubhouse, like Sano, uh, Rosario, all those guys seem to really arise, seem to gravitate uh, off of his work ethic and his leadership last year, and they all played better. And I think, you know, no matter what, as long as he's just a leader on this team, I think his contract's worth it regardless. And as long as he hits 30 home runs and stays healthy and that wrist is okay, um, I think I think he's definitely got a good season ahead of him if he's healthy. Speaking of defense, uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, Jorge Polanco had a down year defensively at shortstop. What do the Twins need to do to get him to improve his defense, just even just a little bit? Mm, that's that's really tough because he kind of is what he is at this point, right? He's a guy in his mid twenties, and I think the signing of of Donaldson helps him out. You know, you know Donaldson's great fielder. Maybe you know Polanco doesn't have to have as much range towards the third base side of the infield. It's really you know because Arise isn't the greatest infielder. Polanco's not the greatest infielder. At least he doesn't have the greatest arm, and he tends to make a uh, you know an aloof error once in a while, but. Um, yeah, that's the that's the spot I'm most worried about on defense is right up the middle there, which is pretty important. But the twins shift and stuff so much, uh, it shouldn't really be a problem. And as long as he hits like he did last year, I think it more than makes up for his average to subpar defense. Um, speaking of shifting, uh, being that it the the Rays and I, I hate to say the Astros anymore because. <laughs> That's like a buzzword. Uh, um, is is shifting that important, or would the Twins be better off not shifting quite as much and and playing it heads up down the middle other times? As much as it seemed What's like, as thought? much as it seemed like. Every you know every time we shifted last year, it really seemed like the hitters you know hit it to where they weren't. Um, but I think I, I read some stats last year that even though they did shift a bunch, it still was better than them not shifting. So um, I'm not like the biggest geek on shifts. Like that's the one thing I'm not that geeky about because I'm kind of still old school on baseball. I'm definitely analytical, but that's mm-hmm. one thing that you know drives me nuts, and I think it stole a lot of hits from Joe Maurer. But um, that's uh, that's one thing that I think as long as they continue to do what they do and if they think it's going to make them better. I mean, the Twins and Rocco Baldelli and that whole that whole coaching staff know a lot better than a lot of us do, you know? Yeah, I I, I can't disagree with you. Um, what uh, – I just have a couple more questions and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, what uh, – I forgot my question. Okay, uh, what, are you uh, as nervous as I am about the pitching staff? Because it looks a little funky, if you ask me. You got Barrios, you got Odorizzi, you got uh, Big Mike Pineda eventually, and uh, Bailey, and then who knows? Uh, are you as concerned with the pitching staff? Oh yeah, I mean, I just like everybody else. I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty concerned about it, especially because Barrios. I mean, he's still got a lot of, 
room to grow, but I don't know if he's ever going to be that ace. And, you know, we know older is he's not. He had a heck of a year last year. Definitely deserved the qualifying offer. He's a solid pitcher. Braille's is solid, but as we've seen with him in the second half, he tends to just fall off the map. I hated the Homer Bailey signing. I think he's going to be one of those guys that they're going to give innings to regardless of if he pitches well or not. And the guy's only pitched over 160 innings three times in his career. Um, he's pretty much a Kyle Gibson replacement, but I think they could have just saved $7 million and, throw, and thrown anybody from AAA in there, such as Thorpe or Dobnak, and one, you know, throwing a couple of the guys out there that you know might deserve – you know, we're going to make less money, save you a little payroll. And I, I don't know it, to me. Yeah. I, but there's still, there's still a month left before, you know, spring training starts, you know, ish pitchers and catchers report before then. But yeah, I'll be worried if they don't make a splash between now and July for now, I think their bats will keep them in the division race for a while, but they're going to have to make a move and they're going to have to give up quality prospects for a stud pitcher. Would you make a move before spring training or 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 would you let the young guys try their best to uh put up some solid numbers? Well, I mean, that's a that's a tough one because I think the twins are gonna roll with a four man rotation and you know, it's like they did last April, so it's probably gonna be Boreos, Odorizzi, uh Homer Bailey and then you know, whoever takes Pineda's spot, um, but, you know, it's Dobnak or Thorpe or Smelter. But I think, you know, the sooner the better they get in, like an ace or, you know, a solid number two pitcher because, you know, wins matter. You know, one or two games decide a division. So the sooner they can get a pitcher, the better. But, you know, pitching is at a premium in this league, and, you know, aces don't come around very often. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, last question. Uh, how would you break down the the AL Central? Are the Twins a clear favorite, or do you see this as more of an open situation? I think the Twins should be the favorite. I know just because of how great their lineup is and their pitching is still okay. I mean, and their, their bullpen on paper right now looks like it's the best that's ever been. Uh, just you're worried about if that rotation can hold up, but it's just for a little bit, and I think the White Sox, although they did spend a lot of money this offseason, they're still a step behind. I'll always be worried about Cleveland because of Terry Francona. Terry Francona is, you know, one of the best managers in baseball, if not the best manager in baseball. So that always worries me. Cleveland just knows how to play, and they play the game the right way. So it's just, to me, it should still be between the Indians and the Twins, but don't be surprised to see the White Sox win a lot more games uh, than they have. All right, John. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, making the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again come spring training. Sounds good, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Yep. You you have a good day. You too. Bye. That was John Miller of the Minnesota Daily. Uh, I, I'm not sure what he's doing in Montana. He's working for a, a television station, I think. Um, our next guest is uh, Corey Englehart. 
he had a, a podcast called Baseball is Good. And that was a really good podcast. And he's just a, a big sports fan, especially the Twins. So while we're on the Twins, I thought we would play that one next. All right, here, here he is. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is a friend of the show. Uh, he had uh, a podcast named Baseball is Good, and he's a, a big Twins fan. And he and I talk just about every day about the Twins. So this, this should be fun. So without any further ado, my former co-host, Corey Engelhart. Corey, how's it going? Good. How about yourself, Travis? I'm feeling better, so that's that's a good sign. Sure. Yeah. Get, get over the cold. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's all better very soon. Yeah, I uh, appreciate it. Um, let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, Josh Donaldson, you had to be under a rock to not know about his four-year, $92 million contract with a, a fifth-year option. What was your thoughts when you first heard that? Oh, just excitement. It's a, it's a great deal for a great player. It's one he absolutely earned, and um, the Twins show that they were interested and um, serious about adding someone of his caliber. It was really, it's really exciting um, to add a player like he is both for his bat and both for his defense that he has. Um, I asked you this offline and I wanted to get your response to the listeners. Uh, What, uh, What's your opinion of his edge? He has quite the temper. I I just saw a YouTube video of his outburst, and uh, what what do you think of that? I I appreciate any player in their comfort level be be able to show who they are and um, have passion. I, 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 I've i seen him, I remember a few years ago, he and Glenn Perkins had a sort of stare down shouting match at a, a game at Target Field when Perkins was still closing for the Twins. And I think in, in many ways you you want to have passion and grit or whatever you want to call it um, in your corner which is something that kind of historically, at least for the last five or 10 years, the twins have had a lot of very talented players at different points, but a lot of them had more reserved personalities um, where he, he is someone that will wear emotion on his sleeve and will uh, be very out front and outgoing on 
what's going well, what's not going well, and how how to win games. I think that's a good thing to have. Um, I haven't. I, I guess I haven't heard reports that he's a bad teammate or a bad seed. I guess if anything, I've seen just the opposite that he's been a great teammate and and absolutely helped players um, uh, while being their teammate and working with them. That's that's kind of what I've seen, but. Uh, I don't. I don't hate seeing a little bit of fire once in a while out of a player. I think that's that's a healthy thing. I guess. I I kind of agree with you on that. Um, it just surprised me. I didn't realize he has as many uh, ejections as as he's actually had. Um, so I was just a little surprised by that. Um, so here's a here's a fun question for you. On opening day, Josh Donaldson will wear, will be wearing jersey number. Oh, good question. Uh, if if we're taking bets, I think the easy bet right now would be number twenty four, which is what he was introduced to at the press conference on Jesus, only yesterday. Uh, for many years, he's worn number twenty. And I know that's Eddie Rosario's number, so it sounds like he's trying to work on a deal still to make that happen. But um, I guess we'll see if you if you've already purchased a Josh Donaldson jersey with number twenty four on it, and he ends up switching, you might have a collector's <laughs> item on your hand. I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Are I you need thinking to he's ask... gonna end up with number twenty or? I really don't. If that, if that was me, I would take uh, something in return for my jersey, but I'm not uh, jersey being important, a, a number being important to, to me, so I yeah. wouldn't make a big deal out of it. But not everybody is like that. So Yeah, and if you get uh, two, two personalities get like Rosario and Donaldson are, they both are are more fiery and more um I guess personality fire driven than I would I would say a majority of the rest of the twins on the team. So who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. they both really like the number twenty and it would cost uh, quite a bit to change numbers. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I, I just thought that was funny. Well, he even at the press conference he said, "We're still talking." <laughs> That's funny. I like that. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, when it comes to Donaldson, where would you bat him in in the batting order? I I I really think they're going to go kind of the model they did last year a little bit um and kind of what maybe historically Joe Madden teams from Tampa where Rocco learned about coaching quite a bit I I think against left-handed starters predominantly I I would put Donaldson second cuz he's arguably their best uh on base guy that the team has right now and against lefties, it's it's pretty much he or Garver. 
uh, or Sano or Cruz that any any of them could could bat at the top of the lineup and just demolish lefties. But I I would argue mm-hmm. he would be your number two hitter against lefties against righties. Uh, for the most part, he could frankly be your number two hitter, number three hitter, number four hitter, based on matchups or or whatever they're thinking that day. If he's if he's been hitting um, for a lot of doubles and home runs in the last week or two at that time, maybe you bet him fourth and get a couple of guys in who are more on base related that day. But I, I think there's a good argument to have that he's the team's best overall hitter right now, as far as getting on base and for power. Um, so I say the number two hitter, just because historically the, second hitter in a lineup throughout a year has the most plate appearances and you want your best hitters to bat more often. So that's what I would do. What would you do? Uh, that's kind of, I, I was looking into where he's been batting on some of his different teams and going back even to Toronto he was uh, hitting second most of the time, so I, I I have no problem keeping him in there. Sure. Um, yeah. How 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 big of a difference is his defense going to bring to the to the team as? Uh, there, it's no secret that Jorge Polanco's uh, defensive run saves was uh, not not what you would hope for last year. Sure. Um, how big of a difference do you think Donaldson being over at third and having more range than most third basemen will have on Jorge Polanco's uh, defense. I think it'll make a huge difference. Well, uh, just to backtrack a little, Miguel Sano, who has been our third baseman and it looks like he's moving to first, was really good at a few things. He was excellent at charging in on bunts or tappers, and if he got a ball hit to him hard, he, he probably has the best infield arm, maybe in baseball or close to it. it like, not a lot of other guys can throw it 95-plus from third base. Not Josh, Josh Donaldson doesn't even have that kind of arm. Um, but what Donaldson can do that's elite still compared to almost any other third baseman in the game is the left-to-right lateral movement that uh, Sano really – that was one of his kind of uh, lesser levels, I guess, so – getting more range left to right in Donaldson, who is top five fielding third baseman in baseball, maybe more than that, um, will help cover more ground. So theoretically, Polanco has less ground he has to cover. Um, So in many ways, it kind of helps two positions as far as more range at third means less range having to cover it short. And I, I, I know I've seen some people even say that they're worried about to know at first, I'm not worried about Sano at all. I, he's great at picking the ball when it's to him, and he absolutely is a great athlete. So, I, I think I think our infield def, defense got improved five tenfold from 
last year because of the things that Donaldson helps Polanco with on the left side. Kind of might be fucking um, bad. What do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, uh, I I think Sano will be fine. He will pick the majority of them, and every once in a while he'll have a head scratcher where you're like, how did he not catch that? Sure. But overall, I think he'll be fine. And Donaldson, to me, that is just as important, if not more important, than his bat is his range and because uh, that that was one of the bugaboos about Polanco is his range isn't real great he'll catch mm-hmm. the ones right in front of him but if if he has to go to his right he kind of struggled last year so I'm sure. interested in, in to see how that Turns out, um, my other question was, how many years, in your opinion, does Josh Donaldson play third base? Well, I, I think at least three of the four or five years he's our third baseman, barring health. I think, um, I think he's somebody that takes care of his body and works out and stretches and and eats well, kind of like Nelson Cruz does, where he's still a really good defender, and even if he drops off in a couple or three years because it just happens when you get older, I I see no reason to think he can at least be an average defender. Um, Certainly take rest days, certainly DH once in a while, maybe in year two, year three, just to keep him fresh, but... I think at least three years he's our um, regular third baseman. Year four and then option year five. Um, I I think we'll see. Right now it's hard to say internally in the minor leagues. I I don't know who I heard. um, I heard a point about this on Jeremy Nygaard's podcast I was listening to. Who, Who would you say is the internal candidate right now? Um, to be the future third baseman, I don't. I don't know that the Twins have one, unless Royce Lewis is third baseman instead. But he's certainly not going to be that in the next two or three years with Josh Donaldson there. So I, I, I kind of think, um, I think he'll be good enough anyway. I think he'll be a good defensive player anyway in 2022, 2023. That third baseman, that third base will just be his position, but. I don't. I don't know that there would necessarily be a different option coming up in the minors for that role, regardless. I guess. I'm just wondering. Oh, this is probably. Uh, I shouldn't say this because I don't know. Uh, but this more than likely is Nelson Cruz last year with the Twins. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I think if he's healthy and still playing well, he it could be a I'll say similar to David Ortiz just because Boston went year to year with him and signed him for one year deals only. Um he'll as of now Cruz is a free agent after this year, but 
I see no reason why he couldn't, if he plays well again and hits well again and is healthy and wanting to play, I see no reason he couldn't come back again next year. But you're right, it's he's only signed through this year. So if he isn't back next year, then we'd be figuring out probably if Sano is more of a first baseman or more of a DH or moving back to third if Donaldson gets injured. So who knows? I, I, I lean towards Donaldson still being at third, but um, if Cruz retires after this year, then that would be a position opening for somebody. Speaking of, of that, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts about Alex Kirillo. Uh He can play first base or, or the outfield. What is his best position, do you think? Do you think he's going to a future first baseman or an outfielder? I think he could do both. I mean, not to compare him to Cody Bellinger, because that's not fair. He's an MVP-level player, but um, some players can cover both positions depending on matchups. And Bellinger certainly plays first base and center field. I'm not saying Kirloff will ever be his level bat, but um, he played more first base last year an outfield, but before that, he was primarily an outfielder. I think, I think if Kirloff's bat is ready, um, whenever he's ready to come up in the next year or so, um, it'll kind of depend on what the need of the team is. Really, um, if if Rosario hypothetically is not cutting it for whatever reason, then Kirloff or Larnack is your left fielder. If if Sano needs to move to DH, then I think Kirloff or someone else would be your first baseman. I think it kind of depends on what the major league team does more than what the uh, what Kirloff does as far as defense. Um, he just hopefully Kirloff will continue to uh, get better and work on his game and continue to hit um, while being healthy this year and shows that his bat is ready to play, and then I think everything else kind of works itself out. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk about pitching for a few minutes. Uh, sure. The, going, going into the 2020 with what they got, they got Jose Barrios, Jay Goderzy, um, Homer Bailey, and then a couple young guys while uh, Michael Pineda is suspended the first 30 games, and uh, Rich Hill is out until June or July. Do you think they need to make a trade right now, or can they get by until the trade deadline? Um, I'll answer that in two ways. I absolutely think they need to add one more playoff-level starter, um, somebody who could start game one or game two in a playoff series. Rich Hill might be that, but we don't know how he's going to recover. Odorizzi and Barrios are both can be at that level. Pineda might be at that level too, but you never really know. I would I would 
hope they look at acquiring, and I believe they will, another playoff starter, level starter that um, with any hope on top of that is controllable for um, more than just this year. I I think they should look at acquiring one before the season um, just because there are all teams right now kind of looking at that they might be able to listen depending on offers. But because um, if you're if you really like one or two or three pitchers specifically on teams that you think would be open to trading right now, some of those teams or all of those teams come June might still be in the wild card hunt, and you don't know if they would be open to trading at that time. I I, I just view it as easier to trade in the off season or even before spring training than it might be mid season. Because at that point you're still kind of hoping that teams aren't in the race and have fallen out, and um, if they have, great, then you can trade with those teams. But if players, if teams are going for wild card spots and don't want to trade, then that makes it difficult at that point. Um, so to kind of answer your question, I, I, I feel like Dobnak and Thorpe are ready to be back end starters. I don't think they need depth necessarily, depending on injury, which could happen at any point. But I, I think I think they need to add one more playoff level high end starter before the playoffs. And I think getting Josh Donaldson in the fold helped buy them some time. But I see no reason that they can't add pitching um, before spring training, during spring training, early part of the year when a team is ready to listen and ready to deal their, their pitcher that the twins would hopefully acquire. Um, a, a name that I'm very high on is John Gray from Colorado. And uh, I talked about this with uh, Steve Burr earlier tonight. And sure. looking at what, Colorado would probably want for him. Are you willing to give up uh, a top of the line prospect or two? Yeah, I I am. I, I mean, top of the line. The Twins are one of only four teams in baseball that Baseball America recently said had six top one hundred prospects. Um, I, I, I don't know that I would feel comfortable moving Royce Lewis for him, but moving one or two other players, maybe a position player and a pitcher who are in the top 100 prospects in all of baseball for somebody like that. I think it, it might feel steep and it might hurt in the moment, but I think it's something that the twins should be ready to do. So I would do that move. I, I let's say hypothetically it's Larnack and Belazovic. Uh, just two names, but those are both guys that are in the top 100. I think, I think it's a steeper price to pay than maybe we've seen across baseball historically over the last four or five years, what pitchers have been traded for. But I think now is the time for the twins to really go all in and they should do a move like for a John Gray or like somebody else that they like and trade prospects um, to acquire that. Yeah, that's, kind of the trade I was looking at and 
I, I, I'm of the belief I would be willing to trade either Larnick or Kirloff, but not both. Um, yeah, and would I you think, be willing I think to that trade Kirloff? I I think I would. Um, I I also get the sense that I don't know that I could see a lot of teams necessarily pushing for both of them in one deal just because they're both arguably corner outfielders or first baseman um, bats that are close to the majors or major league ready at some point this year. I would think teams asking for prospects coming back would want a different sort of portfolio coming back to them as far as what positions or what kind of pitchers are, are the team is receiving back. Like they're both obviously top 50 prospects in baseball. So that sounds good to any team, but if they're wanting, like, I just can't see a team wanting two corner outfielders in a trade. I would, I would imagine a team would say one of those guys and then a pitcher or one of those guys in a, up the middle defender, something along those lines instead. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say absolutely can't trade both of them. I just don't know that a team would want two guys that are as similar profile. Um, what about, uh, do you think that, um, A trade like that would would that severely hurt the twin? Let's say you you lose Larnick and I can't pronounce his name. Belzadovich. <laughs> I apologize. Okay. If you trade those two guys out. How how bad did that hurt the Twins' farm system? It would hurt. I right now they're top what five or eight, something like that in baseball. If they lose mm-hmm. two top one hundred guys, um, they're probably moving into the more of the ten or twelve range. But they still have Lewis if, in that scenario. They still have Gratterall, Duran, and probably one of those two, and they have a decent number of guys that are right on the fringe of being top 100 that no one would be surprised mid-season would turn into top 100. I'm thinking more guys like Maciel Urbina and Keone Cavaco, their first-round pick from last year. I, I, If they're having seasons like I expect them to, I would be surprised if they're not top 100 prospects come June or July when they're looking at the prospect list again. So, they have a super deep class. Uh, looking at the Baseball America list um, and hearing their podcast, if you take the Twins' top six prospects out of play, the next, the seventh through twentieth prospect in the Twins' system is virtually the same value. So the depth that the Twins have is pretty crazy uh, compared to most other teams in baseball as far as how much depth they have. Um, they don't have any top 10 prospects uh, in baseball at the moment just because Lewis had a tougher year overall last year. But they have a lot of high-end depth and a lot of depth that's close to the majors right now. So losing two guys rather than, say, losing 
eight or nine guys in a couple major trades, I think would be easier to to swallow. All right. Uh, I just have a couple more, and then I'll let you go. Um, sure. How would you rate the AL Central? Where do you see the teams matching up? Do you mean compared to other divisions across baseball or just the division? No, itself? just just how like handicap the AL Central. Okay. Right now I'd say the Twins are the favorite. I know their over under that I saw recently in Vegas is about ninety two and a half games. I'd I'd be comfortable betting the over, but I would probably bet under on say ninety six. Um I think they're a low to mid nineties win team this year, even if they're better positioned for the playoffs than they were last year. Um I think, I think they could win a hundred games. They might. Um the issue why I think they might not win a hundred games is Chicago is clearly trying to not be a doormat again. And a few other teams That's really spent some money. Like um the Angels spent a decent amount of money and updated their roster. <laughs> Um, Tampa's back. Uh, Seattle's still good. The Rangers are clearly better than they were last year. So uh, the American League as a whole doesn't have as many teams, I think, this year that are 70 wins or less. So just because a lot of other teams brought up their kind of water level, uh, I think the Twins still getting to 94, 95 wins might be as impressive as 101 that they won last year. So um, to answer your question, I I think the Twins are the clear favorite in the Central um, by maybe three games, four games, which doesn't seem like much. I still think Cleveland is a 90-win team, uh, and I think Chicago is probably in that 82 to 85 win pace if I was going to bet today with uh, Kansas City and Detroit pretty far behind both of them, I guess, is, would be my guess. But. Um, last question, and then I'll let you go. Um, what type of team do you think Houston's going to be able to put together without a manager right now and a general manager? <laughs> yeah with every single fan base banging trash cans at every single game, <laughs> probably throughout, at least on the road. Um, their offense is still going to probably be really, really good. And Grinky and Verlander leading their rotation, if they're healthy, is still one of the better rotations in the American League. But I, I think losing Garrett Cole and losing their manager is, is a pretty huge uh, deal for the 2020 season. Um, I, I've told you this in passing, and I've mentioned it to other friends. I think the Twins have a pretty decent shot right now at being maybe the number two seed in the American League, which I, I see the Yankees as the favorite uh, by quite a bit in the rest of the American League. But the Twins have a decent shot right now, especially if and when they add a playoff-level starter to be uh, the two seed in the playoffs, if everything helps and everything works out right, um, and be able to face a uh, division winner or a wild card rather than facing the Yankees in the first round. And that's that's exciting to me to be able to win a playoff series for the first time in, what, 18 years, something like that. So 
I, that's how I would handicap it. I think Houston has taken a definite step back this offseason, losing Garrett Cole. Um, but uh, I think they'll still be formidable. Uh, the division, their division, with the Angels getting better and Texas getting better and Oakland still being amazing, it's going to be tougher for them to really have a huge lead in games played like they did last year. I don't think they can run away with with, this, with that division like they have done. So, Yeah. Uh, well, Corey, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on tonight. It was fun. And uh, we'll have to do this again real soon. Yeah, that sounds good to me. It was fun for me, too, and I'm glad you're feeling better. So take it easy, and yeah. and we'll chat again real soon. All right. Uh, you have a good night, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. You, too.
Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is the radio host of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Alan Horton. And without any further ado, I'm going to bring Alan on the show and we'll get at it. Alan, Travis, how, how are you? how's it going? I'm Good. excellent. Thanks for making the time for me tonight. You bet. Um, my uh, first question is for new listeners to the show. Can you describe in a few sentences what it's like for you uh, being courtside every every night and every game, every game, what that's like for you? Well, I tell you what, it's one thing um, I think all sports fans kind of like is the atmosphere inside of an arena or a stadium or whatever the sport may be. And so to be in an NBA arena every night and uh, feel the energy and feel the passion and see the greatest athletes in the world play the greatest uh, sport in the world, it's um, it's it's surreal. And I, I never take it for granted. And I, and I always appreciate what we see, even if it's not not something particularly remarkable. You just there are oftentimes you just you never know what you're going to see. And um you know, most places, it's actually interesting, we're not courtside anymore. There's only about five or six places left where radio positions are on the court. And so we're up in the uh, top of the lower bowl. Sometimes we're in the lower of the second deck. Um, we're kind of sometimes across the baseline. We've got some interesting, weird angles that we broadcast from. So um, every arena has a little different spot that we're located. And it um, it certainly makes for an interesting night calling a game, too, especially if you're you know, across the baseline and lower bowl down low in a corner and you can't see the entire floor. It's, it makes it difficult sometimes. But um, that being said, it's, 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 it's incredible to see what these guys do on a nightly basis. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let's uh, jump on, on the court. Uh, the first, first thing I want to ask you about, what was your reaction to Jeff Teague getting traded for Alan Crabb. Well, I thought it. Um, I, I thought it shows that the, the. I think the biggest takeaway from it is that the front office is not going to um, just kind of sit by and idly do nothing. I think they're. I think they're going to be aggressive. It's something that Gerson Rosas did as soon as he took over and moved up in the draft, um, trading Dario Saric to to Phoenix to move up in the draft to get Jared Culver, and then um, you know things were clearly not working out with Jeff Teague or with Travion Graham. Um, and I think they saw an opportunity to make a switch and bring in um, someone that they they feel like they know pretty well. Um, not only has Alan Crabb played with Shabazz Napier and Noah Vonley, Jake Lehman, but he played under David Vanderpool in Portland. He played under Pablo Pergioni in Brooklyn. Um, and they like his ability to hit the three, even though he's only shooting 32% from deep this year. His career numbers are really strong, and they're hoping that maybe they're able to find you know, find a little bit of lightning in a bottle and, and, and he can provide a scoring punch from the outside and be that sniper that he's been over the last couple of years. Uh, the Wolves are 15 and 28 right now, uh, but that could be much worse if uh, with Carl Anthony Towns missing all, all the games that he has missed. How How has the rotation changed in his absence? Well, when he was out, you had you know you had Gorgie Jang starting, and they gave an opportunity to Nas Reed. It gave an opportunity to Noah Vonley, um, and I think those guys did a, a fairly good job in filling in, especially Gorgie. But uh, I don't think you're going to be able to find um, you know a replacement for one of the more talented big men in the entire NBA. So they certainly missed Carl Anthony Towns, especially at the offensive end. Their defense got better while he was out because I think they knew 
that they had to defend if they were going to stay in games because their offense really struggled while he was gone. And now um, now they're trying to get him back in 100%, get him back in the flow of things, get the chemistry built back up, get him and Wiggins playing well together, mix in Alan Crabb. Um, they've been as healthy as they've been in a long time with the exception of Jake Lehman. So you hope that continues and that this team is able to um, you know, to gel a little bit. It's been tough sledding against good competition. Uh, they've only won two games all year against teams with a winning record. And, um, you know, tomorrow night they face a Chicago Bulls team that's a sub-500 team, and that that may be more where they're at right now. They're 13-10 and 10 against sub-500 teams. So um, I think they have a chance to get a little bit healthy on some of the, the schedule, lightens up a little bit after six straight losses all against winning teams. Uh, speaking of uh, some of the games I, I've noticed, they, they've lost a lot of close games. What would you put your finger on why they're not able to close out some of these games? So they got off to a start. They got off to a 5-1 and one start in clutch time games, final five minutes and, and score within five points. And then they've won uh, just three since. So I think they're 3-14 and 14 now. Um in their last 17 clutch time games. I think, I think if you were to look back at most of them, you'd find that they, they go into clutch time, but they've already been trailing. Um, so they're going into these close games already behind by a possession or two. And that, that makes it awfully difficult, but um, you know, it comes down to execution. It, it comes down to getting stops in the defensive end and making a shot at the offensive end. Sometimes you just need one of each one stop and one score, and you're going to find yourselves in front. And next thing you know, the clock's in your favor and you're shooting free throws. But I think the majority of the time the Wolves have had to come from behind and even being down just one possession when the other team has the ball, that's, you know, that, that forces you to get stops and, and the Timberwolves defense has not been particularly strong of late. Um, and so I think they're, they're just not getting the kind of execution you need like they were earlier in the season. Uh, going back to Cat, uh, there, there were national reports that he wasn't happy. Seeing him on an everyday basis, do you do you see see him uh, being able to to put that out of his mind and and contribute on an everyday basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, the, in this day and age of, of professional sports, there are going to be a lot of be a there are going to be a ton of rumors out there, especially as you get closer and closer to a trade deadline. I don't care if it's baseball or basketball. Or, uh, fo- I don't know if football has a trade deadline, but uh, the point is that there's a lot of rumors out there, and there, a lot of them are completely unfounded. I don't I don't think there was anything in um, Carl's discontent. I think he has been very pleased with the way this thing has turned around from where he was a year ago under Tom Thibodeau. Clearly. Uh, he and Towns clearly did not mix well, um, and, and Towns has got a coach that he likes. He's got a front office that he trusts. Um, I think it's frustrating that he finds himself in a non-winning situation again, but I think he can see the light at the tunnel that this uh, organization is committed to turning things around, and he's going to be a big part of it. Um, speaking of the coaching, um, what have you seen out of Ryan Saunders that gives you hope that they can get this turned around? Just a good young coach. That's um, you know, I just uh, I think on a lot of nights the Timberwolves just don't have as much talent as um as some of the other teams out there. I just uh, you know, even Denver without three starters last night was um was the better team than the Timberwolves were. They were more cohesive at the defensive end. They got bigger production from some of their bench guys. 
Um, and that's saying something because a lot of three other starters were out, which means three other bench guys went into the starting lineup, which means three guys who were out of the rotation had to jump in the rotation. And Michael Porter Jr. was a big part of that. So they got big production. Um, but I, I think Ryan's, a, like I said, a good young coach who, who's got great relationships with his players. Um, and, you know, early on in the season, I think when you saw things clicking and the Wolves got off to a seven and four start to the season, they were 10 and eight. Um, they, he was pulling all the right strings and, and guys were performing well. So I think we've seen when it all, when it, when, when all the pieces are in place and everything's clicking, it can result in wins. Um, the problem is that it just hasn't been clicking, whether it's because of the injuries, whether it's because um, guys are not comfortable in their roles or guys aren't knocking down shots like they were before, lots of different factors. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I think you can point back to the beginning of the season and say, okay, it, it does work when everything is clicking. Now we have to get back and make sure things are clicking. Uh, how is Cat uh, looking in your opinion since he came back? Yeah, three three games back. I think he's gotten stronger in every one. He's starting to knock down some shots. The rust is coming off a little bit. Um, you know, it's. I don't think the rebounding is quite where it was, um, and I, it, it probably will take him another week to get his strength back and really see him attacking the glass and um, doing a lot of the things we saw him do earlier in the year. Um, speaking of that, uh, being that, he got off to a really great start uh, in Andrew Wiggins, and then he had had some struggles. Uh, where is uh, Wiggins at in your in your mind? Yeah, it's just it's about consistency for Andrew. Those first eleven games of the year were special. I think everybody was kind of waiting for um, him to have that kind of stretch in his NBA career and have his career turn into more of those eleven games. Um, where the, the, the scoring was at an efficient level, the rebounding, the assists were all up. And while those numbers are still up, um, it's been a struggle to be consistent offensively. I think he's benefited a little bit from, from Cat coming back, although he struggled last night. Um, it's just, um, you know, it's about consistency for him. I think, I think he's got the coaching in place. I think he's got a front office that believes in him. Um, and he's just got to go out in, in, you know, I think the, I think the, he's had an illness twice. He's had the death of a family member. He's gone through a lot of things this summer, uh, this winter as well. So um, it's just got to get to a consistent level where he's, um, you know, that's what coaches want, right? They want, obviously they need talent to win, but they love consistent performances. They want to be able to count on you for X, Y, and Z every single night. And whether that X, Y, and Z is points or rebounds or a certain set of minutes or a certain, you know, uh, hustle defensively, that type of thing. And so, I think Andrew just has to find that consistent level like we saw earlier in the year. Um, a guy I want to ask you about, uh, Jared Culver. Uh, he's been up and down, it seems like, uh, which shouldn't be a big surprise being he's a rookie. Uh, where is he at right now in your mind? Well, I think he made it through his rookie uh, – his, uh, the rookie wall that he hit, I think, I think that was a few weeks ago when he had a, a stretch of like, you know, a couple of weeks stretch where he was just, he, he could not get the shot to fall and he was out of rhythm and just couldn't get into a rhythm. Um, but I think he's come back and I think he's, um, he, he's got a very bright future, I think, because a, he's got a great head on his shoulders, got a great work ethic, which I think will go a long way for him. And I'm, I think we're starting to see that shot fall a little bit. He's an aggressive driving to the rim, getting to the free throw line a little more, but 
Um, he's got to develop a more consistent outside shot, no doubt about it, because that's um, you know, that's something every team needs, and 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 with every team striving to be as efficient as possible um, offensively, you just you can't have someone out there that can't consistently knock down shots. But we've seen him here and there start to get a little more consistency at that three point line. So I, I think good things to come for Jared Culver. Another guy I want to ask you about because much is expected out of him and he's been so-so in my mind. Uh, and that's uh, Josh Akogi. What have you seen out of him? Well, Josh is a guy whose nickname is nonstop and, and he goes nonstop when he's out there on the floor. Um, you know, he's just a, a pit bull or a bulldog, whatever kind of dog reference you want to make. It works for, it works for Josh Akogi, but um, again, you know, you were hoping in his second year that that outside shot again would be a little more consistent and that he would be a little more seasoned offensively in some of the decisions that he makes. Sometimes, um, you know, especially in transition, the game moves pretty fast and oftentimes he will make a poor decision in transition. So I think he's got to clean that up a little bit. His drives, you love it when he drives, but he's got to be consistent with that pass out too many times. That results in a turnover. So I think there's still plenty of room for improvement for Josh Akoki, um, and it's got to start with that outside shooting because this is a team that it believes in space and pace, and they they want to take threes. They're taking 39 a game, um, and they can come from any spot on the floor from any player. And if you're not a great three-point shooter, that's it's going to be tough long-term to keep putting you out there on the floor. And I think we finally saw that with Travion Graham is that you just – just couldn't put him out there any longer when he's shooting 24% from beyond the arc. A couple more, then I'll let you go. Um, There's trade rumors abound when it comes to Robert Covington. He uh, brings a lot on the defensive side of the the ball. And uh, in your mind, does it make sense to move him, or is he part of the future in your in in your mind? Well, the reason I think his name gets mentioned so much is because I think there's I, I think he's got a positive value. I think he people value what he does, and I know the Timberwolves value what Rob Covington does. The only way you would move him is if and and for any player, I think this is this 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 holds true. Um, you, you're only going to move something move someone if it nets you something you feel is better in return. Um, and so I think Rob Covington has probably, you know, because of his contract and because of the way he plays the game and what he brings, he's highly coveted around the league, uh, probably behind Carl Anthony Towns. He's probably, you know, the second player on the team that, that most people would have an interest in, and they could all seem to fit. Um, I, I couldn't name a team that wouldn't want Rob Covington. So it's no surprise to me that his name is, is out there. I don't think they're actively trying to move him because um, you've already got a guy under contract that, that's providing a lot of things that you want to do. So um, it's only going to – I'm pretty sure they're only going to move him if they, if they get something greater in return. Last question, and I'll let you go. Um, with limited cap space and uh, so, several needs on, on the team, how do you think is the best way to improve the Timberwolves roster? Like this season or in the off season? Or just generally, like, well, how do we get to the next to a level that where we can consistently 
win games. Yeah, and I think that's what their Gerson Rosas in the front office is trying to do. I mean, sustained winning. Um, that's the goal. And so it's um, anytime they can possibly improve talent-wise across the board, I think they need, they, they they will do it. Um, and so that means if you're going to shoot lots of threes, you better have people that can shoot threes. So I think you've got to upgrade there. Um, you know, I think the defense has shown some signs of coming together, uh, but I, I think I think there's some improvements that need to be made there as well. Um, I just think I just think it's you're kind of right in the sense that it doesn't have to be the trade deadline, it doesn't have to necessarily have to be the off season. It's got to be um, it's got to be a 365 you know type of thing where you're constantly working to improve the team, um, whether it's roster, whether it's how you go about preparing. Um, all sorts of different things, finding guys in the draft, finding undrafted free agents, finding two-way players, finding G League players that can possibly fit in. Um, there's there's a lot of talent out there, and, and, and the key is to find it. All right. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always great to talk. Uh, we'll have to do this again later in the season. All right, Travis. Take care, man. That was Alan Horton of the Timberwolves as he talked about some of the struggles the Timberwolves have been having and what he thinks is a way to to get out of it. Um, and now next on Minnesota Sports Weekly, we have Marshall Kellner for the final interview of the of the show. So uh, here it goes. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is the radio voice of formerly the Minis- Fort Myers Miracle that is now known as the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles. Excuse me. Um, His name is uh, Marshall Kellner, and I'll bring him on the show now. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Travis. Uh, How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for making the time. uh, my apologies that I didn't get you last week, but we're on the air tonight. Awesome. Good to be here. Okay. Uh, being you're from Minnesota, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Twins signing Josh Donaldson. What do you think he'll bring to the, the Twins? I think uh, I think it's an awesome uh, it's, it's a great great move by the Twins. I'm excited to uh, I'll, I'll be representing uh, the Mighty Muscles up at Twins Fest this weekend, and excited to uh, see Josh Donaldson there. But uh, I go back to uh, I actually worked for the uh, Dunedin Blue Jays in the Toronto Blue Jays system in 2015, and that was the year that uh, Josh Donaldson joined uh, that organization, and he of course won the American League MVP award. 
He uh, took them back to the playoffs for the first time since they won back-to-back World Series uh, in the early 90s. And uh, he he was just a tremendous presence uh, beginning right away with spring training, and that was really cool to see. But uh, he brings an edge, uh, as a lot of people have said. Uh, he plays plays with a chip on his shoulder. So, sure, all the all the numbers, 37 home runs last year, terrific defense at third base, um, NL Comeback Player of the Year award. I mean, he his, his numbers jump off the page, and he's a late bloomer, so I don't really worry about his age uh, quite as much. He didn't really establish himself as a, as a regular until his late 20s. But uh, all the intangibles that he can bring that aren't measurable uh, to the clubhouse, uh, kind of like Nelson Cruz did last year, you get uh, that veteran presence with Donaldson. He improves the an already extremely potent lineup, which may be the best in baseball. And uh, he allows Miguel Sano to move over to first base and also improves that clubhouse. So I think uh, they've got a great combination of youth and uh, and veterans like Donaldson and Nelson Cruz now. So uh, it's it's great in a number of ways, and uh, can't wait to see him in a Twins uniform. Okay, uh, speaking of the mighty muscles, uh, what came about? What, what was the the reasoning, but between. Uh, making the switch this year? Yeah, uh, well, we had a, uh, a new owner uh, come in last year, actually, uh, by the name of Andy Kaufman. He's our new majority owner, and uh, this had kind of been in the works since last spring, but we couldn't say anything about it, of course, until the big uh, rebrand event uh, this past December. But uh, the the name, The Miracle, uh, we have a, a ton of respect, obviously, for the, for the tradition of, uh, of, of that name here. So many... Uh, uh, current and former twin stars came through uh, Fort Myers, uh, in, including uh, you know Joe Mauer, Justin Morneau, Michael Kadire, Tori Hunter, and many uh, of the of the current core of players. But that that name actually came with Miami when the team moved here in 1992. So it was the Miami Miracle, and the name did not change. So uh, a lot of people didn't realize uh, the name actually originated in Miami. So we wanted a more uh, local feel to the team. And uh, there actually are, and I found this out through the process, there's over uh, 60 species of uh, mussels and clams off uh, the off of uh, the Florida coast. Uh, so we really feel like it's, uh, it fit, and uh, we're excited uh, for a new era of baseball here in southwest Florida, uh, while also respecting, of course, the, the great tradition of the miracle. Um, how do you foresee this change in how you guys do business? Yeah, well, I think a lot of a lot of stuff is going to remain the same. I mean, there's going to be still the same great great product on the field. Um, we're still affiliated with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, that affiliation has been here since since the team came uh, to Fort Myers in '92. So uh, we're really excited about that. We're still uh, operating Twins uh, spring training, and uh, that that partnership uh, remains very very strong. Uh, with the Twins, uh, I mean, it's still still going to be um, similar product, affordable family fun uh, here with uh, minor league baseball starting starting uh, April 9th with opening day here. And uh, you can find out uh, more info on uh, MightyMuscles.com, but uh, there's going to be some changes. I mean, there'll be, um, for example, uh, we're thinking of doing a flex cam on the, on the video board, kind of playing off the uh, – the muscle name a little bit. Uh, muscle Man is the new mascot. Sway, though, the old mascot, 
uh, the palm tree that uh, a lot of people like is going to still be making appearances throughout uh, throughout this season. Uh, but it, it's more it, from a from a business perspective, just getting people used to the new name, letting them know you know we're still with the Twins. Uh, you still can expect a, a great uh, a great product uh, on the field. So it, not much changes as far as what actually goes on uh, on the field, but uh, just getting people used to that new name. Do you think it will affect in any way uh, the amount of fans you get in the in Hammond Stadium? Well, hopefully we get more fans. <laughs> that's what that's what we're going for every year. I think people are excited to uh, to to buy the gear, um, and, and you can check that out at MightyMuscles.com. Um, always when there's new gear across. I mean, it's a common thing where minor league teams change their names, and people always want to get their hands on the new swag, the new gear. Um, so, uh, you, you, again, you can check that out at MightyMuscles.com. But, uh, no, I think uh, people are ex- excited to see uh, to see what this what this new era brings. It's a new look on the field uh, for, for uh, Minnesota people. Uh, the colors are uh, kind of purple and gold. Um, so if you, if you like the Vikings as well, you can uh, kind, of, kind of pair that uh, with your Vikings gear. So uh, it, goes, it goes well uh, for, for Minnesota fans. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're excited to see uh, the fans come out and, and support, uh, support the Mighty Muscles. Um, not to, to be a downer, uh, the, the new uh, um, contraction of some minor league teams that is possible in the works um, are, from, from what you know, uh, are, the, are the mighty muscles are they uh, concerned about that it will affect the Florida State League? Um, it could affect some other teams in the Florida State League. A couple teams uh, were were on that on that list. Uh, hopefully, none of that comes to pass because uh, you know we we don't want to see baseball taken out of uh, forty communities um, that's you know across across the country, and uh, it really helps develop uh, fans. Uh, of, of baseball from a very young age, but uh, from from as far as us in particular, um, it, it is not uh, going to affect us at all. Uh, we uh, some some of the concerns that uh, Major League Baseball raised about the facilities and and stuff like that. We we are very lucky here uh, to to play in one of the best ballparks in all of Minor League Baseball. I mean, we're pretty much playing in a Major League ballpark. Major League Spring Training is here. And the Twins, uh, the Twins Stadium here at Hammond Stadium that we use also uh, for the Mighty Muscles is consistently ranked as one of the best spring training facilities, um, and of course uh, one of the best in all of minor league baseball. You don't have many high A stadiums that look uh, like this. I'm actually looking out at the ballpark right now, and uh, the, the, the grass uh, looks like it's almost ready for spring training. Bright green grass. So uh, we, we're we're very, very lucky here with the with the facility. We have, uh, of course, uh, the dorms across across the way. That renovation done several years ago by by the Twins, and uh, we we couldn't be luckier to play uh, here at Hammond Stadium at the CenturyLink Sports Complex. So, uh, luckily, uh, we are not uh, we are not uh, involved in that. But uh, hopefully, it doesn't happen uh, for anybody. Okay. Uh, speaking of Twins Fest. Uh... Being that you're going to represent the the mighty muscles at 
at that. What what kind of things do you guys do when you're there? Um, so we'll have uh, we'll have uh, some of our merchandise, some uh, limited merchandise uh, available uh, for sale there. We're going to have our brand new, uh, a couple of our brand new hats, uh, the uh, navy the navy blue home hats and the uh, the purple road hats. Uh, so people can uh, get a first look at those uh, if they haven't seen them down here. Uh, probably the first look for many many uh, Twins fans in Minnesota. We'll also have uh, a couple sets of uh, our baseball cards from the past two seasons, uh, 2018, featuring uh, featuring Alex Kirloff on the front uh, with a front card, and uh, last year's set, Royce Lewis uh, on the front. So uh, you get a chance to chance to uh, take a look at those cards. Uh, the uh, top two Twins prospects are in there. Also, uh, plenty of other prospects uh, in last year's set, such as uh, Trevor Larnick uh, and uh, and Jordan Belazovic, and in the set. Uh, from from two years ago as well, so uh, some some really cool cards uh, for collectors of those and uh, and the hats the hats as well. So that's mainly uh, what we will have, but uh, also some schedules available and a chance to just uh, talk about uh, the Mighty Muscle season and uh, also also spring training coming up uh, with the first game in about a month, uh, actually a month from uh, from tonight uh, on February twenty first. So what? Do you or the the organization do for spring training, or do the twins kind of take care of that and and you or and you stay out of the way, or do, do you guys have a active role in spring training? Uh, yeah, we have a we have a very active role. We actually uh, work closely with the twins. We operate a lot of uh, spring training, so all the operations, the security, the ushers, press box workers. I actually am the PA announcer for spring training, which I really enjoy and I uh, can't wait to can't wait to do again uh here in here in twenty twenty. But uh but yeah all the staff uh all the staff is uh is hired by us and uh and we love working with the twins uh, on spring training. I mean we're we're expecting a, a huge spring. We've got a great schedule uh for those who who can get down here. Uh, the Braves actually moved from uh, from Disney up to Northport, which is about an hour uh, or so from here. So um, they, we we host the Braves a couple times. Uh, have not hosted them the past couple years. Uh, we host the Mets, uh, who we haven't seen. Uh, we we of course have the game with the Yankees a few times with the Red Sox. Um, have the Cardinals back again this year. The Phillies. So uh, we we uh, Toronto Blue Jays uh, for fans coming from Canada, but. Yeah, we're we're really lucky with the schedule we got uh, this year, and uh, yeah, we do have a very very active role in operating spring training um, and working closely with the Twins. Um, speaking of that, uh, the Baseball America came out today with a prospect top 100, and the Twins got six guys on the list. Are you uh, have you seen all all of, of of those players. Um. Well, uh, help me help me out because I haven't seen the, the Baseball America list. Okay. I, I don't. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff are on there. Bruce Gardner, all another yep. one, and then uh, yeah, Larnick, he's on there. Yep, and Duran. No, oh, and uh, John Duran. Okay. Um. Yeah, I have. I have seen all of them in the past couple of years, which is amazing. I mean, talk about. Uh, we, we talked about uh, the mighty muscles and what will change, uh, what should 
stay the same as the great product on the field and those great prospects uh, coming through here, which has enabled us to uh, w- win the championship in 2018 and uh, and last year made the playoffs before, unfortunately, it was canceled due to due to Hurricane Dorian. But, uh, yeah, I have seen all of those guys play, uh, and uh, and all of them have a chance to be uh, a chance to be impact impact uh, big leaguers. And you talk about uh, Royce will probably start a double A. Alex Kirilov could start a double or triple A. Um, Trevor Larnick should start a double A. Belazovic at double A. Uh, Jordan Belazovic, uh, who had a huge breakout year last year, the Canadian right-hander, um, probably the fastest. To, he he probably made the biggest jump of any of the Twins prospects in the rankings. Um, and then uh, and then John Durand, uh, who was acquired in the Eduardo Escobar trade from from Arizona, he was tremendous as well. He'll probably start a double A. So you're you're talking about all these all of those prospects. All uh, six of them will start at Double A or above, more than likely, which is which is incredible. And then there's plenty more, uh, plenty more behind them. But uh, the the cool thing for Twins fans is those prospects are right on the cusp, and they already have a team that won 101 games added Josh Donaldson. So uh, yeah, get ready. And and you know a lot of talk about you know they may have struck out on the on the free agent pitchers. They have the prospect capital to go out either before the season or before the trade deadline to make a significant addition to the pitching staff as well. All right, uh, Marshall, I want to thank you for uh, making the time for me. Uh, it's always fun to, to get a, get uh, the atmosphere down in Florida. Uh, you have a great day, and uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Travis. Always good being on with you. Thanks for having me again.